This episode of Conjectural Technologies Podcast is brought to you by Conjectech Cigarettes. Are you the science-minded man looking for the right smoke for you? Well, look no further than the Conjectech Cigarette found wherever plutonium is sold. And while you're at it, why not pick up a nice fresh bottle of Guild of Calamitous Whiskey? Why, I'm enjoying them right now. Why aren't you? Today's episode is brought to you by Poison Darts, a Brisbee company focused on family, freedom, and protecting your Second Amendment bill. Division of Brisbee Industries. And then the other crazy thing that happened is uh, I won Keanu Reeves' mustache. That's cool. How does that happen? Um, so I'm a part of the drag community, and a digital drag show I know was auctioning raffle tickets to be placed in for a raffle to win Keanu Reeves' mustache from the new Bill and Ted movie. Because mm-hmm. somebody worked on that and just, like, got it somehow. And I put in $10 because it was just going to go to charity. So I was just like, ah, I won't win. This is fine. I fucking won. <laughs> That's know? pretty cool. And now I'm going to own Shana Reeves's mustache. I got to tell you, that is a little piece of movie history. Like, uh, one of my buddies down in the ILM has got the broken tooth of Shai Halud from when they filmed Dune. Wow, that's a whole lot of ooze. The broken tooth of Shai Halud from when they filled Dune. <laughs> I'm assuming that this is a prosthetic mustache, and that's fine. Yeah, it's uh, like, I think it's a lace front. No, nah, man, it's straight here. up his entire upper lip. Like, you don't want to see what he looks like in John Wick 4. <laughs> no, like, I had the best image of, like, you know, somebody coming up. Oh, my God, uh, Keanu Reeves, thank you so much. Like, you do a lot of great work. Um, you know, I know I'm a, a tech, and I'm not supposed to do this on set but i kind of do this like charity like drag thing do you think you could like donate something and he just pulls off his mustache and hands it over <laughs> i mean that's better than the cum rag stuff in his pocket <laughs> wait what what <laughs> that went places <laughs> Gary, nobody cares about the Venture Brothers. People care. Well, just be quiet. All right, fine. People really need to know this stuff. Welcome about, ladies and gentlemen, to another spectacular episode of Conjectural Technologies, a Venture Industries podcast. I am your host, the indomitable Brock Savage. With me, as always, is my longtime companion, Beast Lamoda. We are joined this week, yet again, by the infamous Calamitous Jane. Everybody say hi. Hi, Jane. Hi. 
I'd like to introduce my guests. Beast, Jane, Jane, Beast. Uh, Savage, Jane, Jane, Savage. Hi. <laughs> Tonight. Beast, Savage, Savage, Beast. Aren't they both one and the same? Just a couple of bearded guys with glasses. <laughs> so tonight we are covering part two. It is the finale of our Monarch block, The Passions of the Monarch. And we are covering an episode that aired on October 15th, 2006, Showdown at Cremation Creek, part two. Now we've covered several episodes that had amazing openings. Uh, one, uh, the, the anime opening from uh, The Trial of the Monarch, right? Mm-hmm. That one is one of my favorites. I know that you guys were really into, uh, oh, God bless. What was the one that came out after that? Hate Floats. Yep, Hate Floats. You guys were really into that one. I loved this opening because it goes through and it does everything every other show does. It just does it more. Essentially, it says in last week's episode, and whereas most shows might give you a couple of snippets to catch you up to speed, this show gave you every single scene at high speed. <laughs> so you could watch the entire episode in four seconds, and then it ends with Phantom Limb, his voice echoing with murderousness, saying, quote, I will destroy your ridiculous cocoon and all inside. And then we launch into our episode. I feel like he should have been twisting his mustache like <laughs> the one he grew back after Hate Floats. Right. And uh, so apparently this is an homage to Lost. So apparently uh, the the episodes of Lost would have a similar like run up, um, just like they did the homage to. Uh, the lost credits uh, in part one with the uh, credits kind of shimmering at, in and out and stuff like that. Uh, so they get it like, in, I, mean, I, I watched like the first three seasons before uh, I learned J.J. Abrams trick and that there's no, not going to be any sort of real satisfaction from this show. <laughs> so I was like, I'm done. I'm done with you. <laughs> uh, and J.J. Abrams trick is, uh, it, it's called the mystery box. Uh, conceptually speaking, it's more important to wonder about what's in the box than actually finding out. So you've just described every late night bar hookup. Well, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's what I was going to say. Like, I bet you like J.J. Abrams and Sting could really talk about some long term concepts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on. How long can you go without satisfaction? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> One of us is going to be the Yellow Emperor. Who will it be? <laughs> I'm sorry, too esoteric. Oh, my bad. So, can you, uh, Calamitous Jane, can you set the scene for us as we open on this week's episode? Okay. Um, we get a shot Bang. inside the cocoon. Hmm? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just, Please just derailed yeah. me with one word. <laughs> you got to understand, it's his arching style. I Oh, yeah. I'm quite familiar with it, and I've already planned my own arch, so it's going to be fun. All right, all right, guys. My bad. One more time. 
<laughs> See, now he's arching you with a fake apology. <laughs> this is this is this is all part of the process. His most famous arch, uh, people don't even know as an act of villainy. Just ask the city of St. Louis. So, <laughs> oh, solid. Set the scene for us, Calamitous. <laughs> so we get a shot inside the cocoon, and it's fucking wrecked. There's guys hanging from ceilings. There's people passed out. You see Adrian up on, not even on blocks, but with just no wheels at all. Uh, so let's, uh, let's pause here and think about your life choices really quickly, Calamitous Jane. Uh, what month is it? What year is it? Who's the president? Do you remember where you are? No, Who I hurt and you? I've already- Who hurt you? Beast. <laughs> My entire brain just shut off. God damn it. <laughs> so- uh, I don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I fucked it up in the first two minutes of talking. I'm That's okay. That is oh. also beast dating life. So- Let's go ahead and take a look at the introduction to part two, which is everybody is trying to flee the cocoon and the guests are departing very quickly from the wedding of the monarch and Dr. Formerly Mrs. Ex-Girlfriend, now currently Dr. Mrs. My Fiance, soon to be Dr. Mrs. The Monarch, slash former Truculee's second in command. Ex-Queen Etheria. Ex Queen Etheria. I really want to know her. Uh, oh God, bless. What was it that uh, that Bob Dylan came up with? Mini Van Erva. Yes. <laughs> that was so good. That was so good. Brilliant. So um, everybody is trying to leave the cocoon and the wedding. The guests are not going to stay for the reception because right outside the cocoon is an entire squadron of guild wasps who are going to take down the cocoon and make it rain fire and blood like a Targaryen family reunion. Uh, and this is also a great scene. If you are a big fan of like uh, animated vehicles or like superhero like things, like you, if you pause this, you really get some great stuff uh, going through, um, some really great homages. Uh, one of my favorites is the Tron homage. Um, and I think that's, uh, the driven by hate bit um <laughs> yeah and you know uh if, if you're really into like you know the vehicles and such and i actually know uh our own minister of propaganda randall avix is a huge gi joe fan so uh he just really gets tickled by all the the sphinx vehicles and the osi vehicles and stuff um this is a, a great snapshot of like the the villain vehicles in fact i actually think you see uh, you know, the, the Sergeant Hatred hover tank among them. Now, I have a quick question for you. What was the coolest old school, like, vehicle toy that you can think of? Uh, okay, does it have to be like a toy that I had? No, no, because the coolest ones I ever saw were ones my family could not afford. Mm, fair enough. Like, I, like I, I feel you on that. So, okay, just, just generally speaking, toys. Uh, okay, so... In my era, uh, the mm, the Ninja Turtle van. With, oh yeah, like, the party wagon. The party wagon with like the full yeah. battle door with like the turret gun and the the top lifted out. Like I mean, uh, that was a lot of fun. And um, I've never actually like seen one in real life. <laughs> I've only seen it on the internet 
as an adult and it affected me so hard. It made me <laughs> like, made my inner child go back in time and crave it. Uh, it was the, uh, was it like G.I. Joe aircraft carrier? Dude, that was on my list. That was going to be my number one. I saw it in person once. I was going to give you three. That was my number one. I saw it in person once. So I grew up on military bases, right? So there was this one family who lived on the other uh, uh, court. Uh, you know, we didn't have courts. We had like uh, commons areas that all the houses, the row houses were built around. Okay. And so you would go out and you'd play. And uh, I went into this kid's house. His dad got transferred shortly after we started hanging out. But he took me down. This kid had no toys. Zero toys. He didn't really have much. He had a couple of G.I. Joes. But he took me down into the basement, which was almost perfectly empty, except for the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier, which was set up on like a special dais. And it had like, dude, the dude had set up track lighting to shine on this toy. And like, I was like, yo, can we play with it? He was like, no, no, we can't touch it, <laughs> but we can look. <laughs> oh, that's it, sad. Was, it was longer than I was tall. It was massive. And he had like figures staged on it and in it, like it was amazing. And the pride that this kid felt in his dad's toy <laughs> told me a lot about how that kid was gonna turn out. Right. <laughs> How about you, Jane? Like, uh, what was one well, of the toy vehicles that you fantasized or actually owned? I used to live down the street from the 60s Batmobile. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up with it right down the street, and I'd go by it all the time. And, I mean, we weren't supposed to touch it, but we totally went up and touched it. <laughs> and then fucking ran like hell to get away from it. Um, I really love... The mystery machine it's just so happy to me mystery machine is classic uh i'm actually looking i feel at like it's the, right up there with the party wagon well and I'm, I'm totally like looking at a mystery machine like lego set right now <laughs> <laughs> my other two were the atat -AT, right I, I i did see one of those that thing was beast and my, uh one of my other favorites was uh the cobra rage which, and the, the entire concept behind it is one that has stuck with me. I think it was set up as like an urban assault vehicle, the kind of thing Alley Viper might sit in. Uh, but it was, what if we made a tank out of a Lamborghini? Like, let's take this really fast, really low, really sleek car and then make it a tank and see what happens. Well, and uh, now I, I actually, now that you reference it like that, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Because uh, the Lamborghini Tessarossa was huge in the oh. eight, like, uh Another big one, um, you know, uh, in terms of, all right, instead of toy vehicles, everybody gets one. I say one. God, it's going to be so hard. All right, I could bang out like a top five list on just fantasy vehicles like Tron bike, uh, A-Team <laughs> van. Uh, <laughs> Dude, if I could only have one vehicle, it would be the DeLorean. Knight Rider car. Oh, snap. Oh, you like Knight Rider? I haven't even told my kids. My wife, we, so we, we got to spend some time together. First time we've spent together, first 24 hours straight, we've spent together in three years. That's what happens when you add kids into your life. And uh, we were sitting there talking about it. So I wanted to buy a, uh, one of the Tesla trucks for my business, right? Like it kind of fits. I need to carry stuff. I need four-wheel drive so we can drive out onto the north end of Carolina Beach. Like, you know, all these little things. 
And she was like, you know, we should probably buy that truck. And I was like, I love you so much. <laughs> I was oh, like, man. yeah. Because the thing about that truck, my favorite part about that truck is it is equal parts Robocop, Warthog, and DeLorean. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I get that, but like out of context, you just so bougie. Like, you're like, I gotta get that Tesla truck. I'm like, well, <laughs> nah, man. I'm so going like, to know a Tesla owner. I'm going to have to change my opinions about people dope. who own Teslas now because it's, it's not bougie. It's life. just for the meme of it. Dude, that, dude. I'm about to drive RoboCop's head. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm driving RoboCop's head cross of the DeLorean and then re-envisioned through Halo 1. Like, you can think whatever you want. I will be able to carry all my sound equipment plus an entire trailer full of gear, and I won't have to buy gas. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'm not saying... The or do oil changes. Here. I'm a big fan of no oil changes. I mean... Here, like I, I, you know, I get that, but uh, Elon Musk. Hey, man, you know what? Uh, there are a lot of people whose personal views I may not agree with, and yet gravity still exists, science still works, and good design is still good design. It's not that I don't agree with him. It's uh, I'm pretty sure he's the guy building like the moon base with the laser pointed at the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> you know. He might, he might, maybe this is part of his secret plot. Like, it, question though, can, is Elon Musk a supervillain? Because it seems in some ways like he's arching the world or are these genuinely things that he just believes? Uh, if there's one thing that the past four months have shown me, it is just how crazy it, people that you like can be. What you got, Calamity? Um, what if Elon Musk is actually more like Jonas, where like he's intending to do good for the world, but all of his, everything he's making is just straight up evil. So maybe his big problem is actually diet pills. <laughs> <laughs> I meant, no, uh, I said Jonas, not Rusty. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, also, I mean, you know, I think it's a perspective thing. Like, uh, he's totally arching Jeff Bezos. Like, I witnessed this. Like, I, we cover this on Venture Home News uh, a lot. Um, but, I mean, uh, is he arching the world, perhaps? Because then you see, like, weird things like, you know, these vague tweets that, like, go crazy viral uh, amongst, like, you know, the, the, the tinfoil hat, like, QAnon weirdos. Like, take the red pill. And you're like, right. the fuck does that even mean? Like, my vitamins are orange. Uh... <laughs> what was it that uh, one of the guys said? Uh, do, do you remember the last temptation of Christ? Do I? Right. What was it he said? Like, I think the semen's backing up to your brain. <laughs> like, <laughs> is that what's going on with these guys? Uh, well, I mean, Elon Musk uh, has, has, I mean, he, he has a, what I suspect may actually be a clone now. Uh <laughs> Can you, if you can pronounce the name, I'll throw money into the oops jar. I got it's nothing. It's spelled a kind of crazy names, but it's just pronounced Bob. <laughs> oh, that's evil. Jeff. Jeff. That's, that's straight up an arch. <laughs> this, or what if he named his son? Like, no, no, his name's actually pronounced Jeff Bezos sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is like the, uh, 
the weird like tech entrepreneur version of boy named sue unfolding in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> you know we were talking about kingdom come the other day is this kid the 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 impetus for kingdom come like is this where it begins like a rich guy with too much money gave his kid an awful name he's going to be so upset and feel so maligned by the world that he's like yeah i'm just going to take it out you know here's the thing if i were in any given comic book universe i would just start having like an agency whose sole job is to monitor people with like uh oh, what was it? alliteration in their name lex luther <laughs> Like, anybody who's got a comic book name is automatically on the watch list. <laughs> yeah, like Matt Murdock, Lex Luthor, like... Wade know, Watts. Yeah, you're, you're like, you know what? Like, I know that there are other people, Bruce Wayne, things like that that exist, but... Martha. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you say that name? Uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, returning back quickly to reference Full Monarch... So, uh, we actually had a thread online about Swole Prison Monarch fighting Super Ego Rusty and who would win. Because I, I, I sent you the pictures of Swole Monarch. Uh-huh. I, I, dude, it, you have no idea how happy that made me. Uh, d like, Swole Monarch with, like, because one of the things that happens once you hit a certain point is you get to get kind of fancy with your, uh, with your prison uniform because there are only certain ways to kind of make it work when your arms get that big, right? You can, you know, kind of roll it up. You got short sleeves, you know, all this, that, and the other. And uh, not like, so Swole Monarch, I actually appreciated that the artist took some time with it and you could see how it played out, dude. It was extraordinarily well done. Uh, Super Ego Rusty versus Swole Monarch. There is, there can be only one. And I totally feel like uh, Super Ego Rusty is going to win. And the only reason Super Ego Rusty is going to win is because Super Ego Rusty can't lose. All right, and, and how about you, Calamitous? Who, who's My money's on Swole Monarch. Swole like, Monarch would fight dirty, but I also exactly. feel like Super Ego Rusty would Batman gambit the hell out of it. Okay, here, here's, uh, here's my prediction on that. So initially, uh, like uh, Super Ego Rusty would like try to reason with swole monarch but that ain't that's not happening at which point you know they would start fighting uh swole monarch would fight dirty uh but then like they would totally have that moment you know where they say something you know like malcolm why'd you say that name <laughs> 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 and then the, like they would totally kind of work it out like i i believe that uh first off swole monarch is not only going to fight dirty, but here's the thing. He's gotten rid of a lot of insecurities. And granted, he has new ones. He's probably very scared of locked doors right now. You know, Super Ego Rusty, I think, would be perpetually trying to, to reason with him. And when they could, like, you know, uh, basically realize that they could bro out and, and, like, you know, they would. Okay. Now, here's another question. Who would win? Swall Monarch or 2011 Carrot Top? Uh, oh, dude. Okay, so this is totally the the chasing Amy setup, right? Like, so there's a five dollar bill. <laughs> One side there's Swole Monarch, on the other side there's Super Ego Rusty, and then across from you is 2011 Carrot Top. Who gets the money? Well, this, Carrot uh, Top, because he's the only one that's not like you know head <laughs> He's the only one who's not fictional. <laughs> uh, so we 
spent how many minutes now uh, trying to get past the opening. So allow me to keep us going as all of our guests are running away. Uh, Killinger finishes up, wishes them well, and flies off. At which point Bray Brock starts addressing Hank and gives him a line that I'm pretty sure he has mentioned more than once when he tells Hank, try not to die, go find your brother. Um, that's one of those moments that, uh, that I imagine has stuck around more than once uh, coming out of Brock's mouth. And I wonder how many deaths it took for him to say, try not to die instead of just go find your brother. That's one thing I've never quite, uh, I haven't quite managed to figure that one out yet, but it, I imagine it didn't take too long. So Phantom Limb is outside trying to destroy the, the cocoon. The wedding guests leave. You've got Brock telling Hank to go find his brother. And uh, we get this dialogue between Phantom Limb and uh, the monarch. And, you know, they're debating about whether or not to attack the cocoon. And Hamilton's like, oh, let the rats desert the ship. It's the big fish rats we're after. And then you get this element, you know, this dialogue between them, at which point he says, like, what, it's okay for you to kidnap her, but when I do it, I'm a loser? <laughs> like, I like that, like, what, it's okay for you to do something horrendous, but when I do something horrendous, I'm a bad guy? Uh, I, they, it, they sound more like brothers than nemeses at that point. Uh, and then, of course, Dr. and Mrs. the Monarch uh, tells Hamilton to, quote, take your little armada and go home. At which point Hamilton says, you're being irrational. Such is the curse of your sex. And it is at this moment that I truly hated Phantom Limb. What do you got for us, Calamitous Jane? Oh, that is the, the, the single line that made me hate him. Even as a kid, I just thought he was a total dick for saying that. Well, well <laughs> what I, I love about it is you even find out it, it, it's even worse than that. Because uh, when they finally show you the first time that, you know, he and, and Sheila, uh, you know, talk openly about the guild, like, in order to recruit her, like, he drops his fucking pants. Like, oh, this is going to impress you. Like, <laughs> it's like typical man move. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, how else do you make friends in college? <laughs> Drugs. Yeah, that's, that also works. So it was funny that you called him a dick. Maybe, yeah, quite possibly even a humorless dick. Uh, because the monarch responds with, uh, she told me everything. She mm. told me she had bad breath. I've had it with this dick. At which point, Phantom Limb screams, Klaus, Iggy, now! Oh, what you got, Beast? Uh, I need to sidetrack us for just a little bit, a little venture. Oh, I, uh, I'm, I'm sure you do. Yeah, no, no. Uh, I've been clamoring uh, for a hot minute to get your opinion on this, and, and Calamitous Jane will immediately know what I'm referencing. So uh, Yes, Beast, it is infected. You should see a doctor. No, no, no. I've already got a cream for that. <laughs> it's not that, anyway. I got uh, it from Salves R Us. Listen, you can't get crabs if there's no more hair. <laughs> No, okay, so anyway. Uh, Lords of Acid might disagree. Fair enough. Um, all right, so speaking of humorless dicks, uh, a Karen on Twitter <laughs> uh, discovered Adult Swim programming and she immediately launched it. into Yeah, like, just. Her kids found it at 3 a.m. 
yeah. how old were her kids just for context like were they were they like old enough to be staying up past no. their bedtime from what i know no okay so she let her eight-year-old kids stay up till like 3 a.m and it's adult swim's fault because this program on adult swim upset her how Oh, oh, this is, I'm glad you asked. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so it's one of these, you know, how they do some of the more avant-garde stuff. I've only seen the, the video out of context, but it's the only way uh, it can be described. It looks like Death Clock doing a Devo cover. <laughs> okay. So it's like three, like, black individuals, like, you know, just sincerely, like, you know, fucking onyx, and they have like these black pyramid heads, and they have these baby dolls <laughs> okay. and these pillars in front of them, like, and it's just a straight, you know, pillar, like a kind of a cylinder column, and they're banging him like these babies on the cylinder like a drum. And so, uh, this lady was like, you know, immediately like on the, the QAnon. <laughs> Like, this is the witches torturing babies. They're trying to make people desensitized to it. Uh, like, you know, and then started, like, there's all these hashtags about, like, symbolism will oh. be their downfall. Uh, yeah, People it, it, are, were equating it to abortion. It was promoting abortion. It, it, it's bizarre. And, like, the fact that uh, I, I love that somebody totally saw Adult Swim and they just, like, Yes, this is clearly for perverts. QAnon, go. <laughs> uh, you're asking my opinion? <laughs> well, I wanted to share it with you. And then, like, you know, again, it's touching on QAnon. And I know you have some interesting opinions on those folks. Um, so oh, man. I, it's it, like... It, all right. So let's step back for just a moment. So I love conspiracy culture. It's fascinating the and in fact you and i i think both have a similar appreciation for it which is the strength and power of narrative yeah. and they are so inspired slash horrified by the world that they flee into this fantasy narrative that wraps everything up into a tight little bow and allows them to feel like they can do something about it like there's this global elite cabal and if you just watch enough YouTube videos, you can defeat them. Or if you read enough books, well, let, let's be honest, they're not reading books. But like, and it, that, like the idea that Q is a legitimate deep state source, like, have you looked any of this stuff at all? Because again, like I do, uh, I love, you know, kind of conspiracy culture the same way I'm adjacent to it. Like I've, I've started diving deep into it. Uh, it, they have some remarkable stuff. Uh, they they see use a lot of premises that I see a lot. Um, like you know, they have the constant setting back of goalposts. Like you know, the the storm is the yes. thing that's always coming. Yes. And like you know, what do you think they're going to do if Donald Trump doesn't win? Like all of a sudden, the whole thing goes up in smoke. But you're going to get that same. Oh no no, we did the math wrong. The apocalypse is in three years. Oh dude, yeah, and uh, so. Everything's a signal. And this is my favorite part about it, because the same thing that allowed us to find constellations and navigate across 
hundreds, thousands of miles, you know, that developed us, you know, as, you know, humanity as civilization, you know, et cetera. Like, it, it's also the same mechanism that's allowing people to see like, oh, Donald Trump, wears, he's wearing a mask now. He's signaling. I'm like, what? And, and like, you know, again, this was the first time, you know, Trump was pictured with the mask. And so like, I'm checking on the conspiracy again, and this is another signal. They don't know what the signal's for, but Trump by refusing to wear a mask and then putting one on is like some sort of like go signal to watch more YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was something really fascinating that just uh, got posted. I, I, for life, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, but it, what it was, was a guy who went through and mapped out the YouTube algorithm and shows you the videos that people are being, that, that YouTube is promoting if it thinks you're one of six certain uh, mindsets. If you are a prepper, if you are a, cons a, cons a, a conspiracy-minded individual if you are a uh, conservative, if you're a liberal, like it listed out 60 things and it shows you what YouTube looks like if you are these people. And it's horrifying. Like it just came out. I just saw the thing about it today. I didn't get to do a deep dive. I did a quick look, but uh, it reminded me. So you remember I had that other office over in Greensboro, right? And, and I had LT running it. Uh, that was uh, back before his downfall and early demise. And uh, so he was running this other portion of his. We had a Twitter account for that business, strictly business. The only thing that it had ever liked or commented on was wedding-related stuff. So obviously he's passed away a couple of years now. And so I pulled that back up to see if the email account was still active. And he had joined Twitter. Twitter's there. It hasn't made a post in years. It hasn't liked anything or commented anything that wasn't wedding related. And the entire Twitter notification for it is right wing conspiracy stuff. Like the whole way down, years of it. And I, I'm, I actually wrote to Twitter and was like, dude, what is wrong with you people? What about this wedding account makes you think that we want to be bombarded by what is clearly like just the most like Alex Jones absurdist propaganda. You know well, what I mean? The crazy thing to me is when big things get uncovered, it's the stuff that they don't care about. Like Cambridge Analytica blew my mind. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Guess what guys? You've all been quantified. You know, that season of uh, like this past season of Westworld that, that that's already that's you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But like, yeah, no, uh, it, Karen, like, uh, it, and it's brilliant. Like, I almost think that this could have been Adult Swim doing like some sort of crazy like PR because everybody oh, like, immediately we went to Aqua Teen Hunger Force and they put those little pixelated characters up and everybody thought they were bomb threats. <laughs> no, like, they Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But no, I, I think they planted a Karen, uh, Sooner Girl 77, girl with a U, uh, and then, you know, her account, like you can't, you know, if you've disagreed with her, you can't see the account. But everybody flocked to, you know, go to like, nobody had anything bad to say except for, you know, the QAnon folk. Um, you know, Boomers. but everybody else was like, you know, the fuck are you talking about, Karen? Like, it's, it's in the title Adult Swim. Like, they, even, they started posting screenshots of, uh, 
you know, the, the warning, like, you know, and then the, you know, mature ratings in the corner of shows, like, if only they had told us. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, no, uh, it, it, the whole thing was kind of preposterous, but it was totally a boon for Adult Swim. And well, uh, free press. Right, no, absolutely. And then I forget, uh, I think 12 Ounce Mouse was, was debuting that night. Like, oh. I mean, you have to imagine, like, uh, Adult Swim probably had some of the greatest ratings they've had all like all year that night. <laughs> right. Uh, do you know how you know that Q is not a real deep state intelligence source? Other than some of the completely made up, like laughably absurd stuff, it's the fact that Q once posted an entire Bible verse. Now, on the face of it, you might think, oh, uh, you know, Q obviously has conservative leanings. No legitimate deep state source, no legitimate intelligence asset would risk getting caught to share a Bible verse in full. Like, there is no possible reason for that. And that's how you know it's fake. Well, I mean, you know, and also like the the if your mascot is Pepe the Frog, you really <laughs> need to look at some of your life choices. Like you're the political version of a juggalo. <laughs> Dude, even Insane Clown Posse is doing it better. Uh, they canceled their concert because they said they weren't even going. To, they weren't willing to risk even one juggalo life. You know what? Even Insane Clown Posse is now the reasonable clown posse compared to some of the things that are happening. And like, and, and, and like, I've had my disagreements with them. They like Fago a whole lot more than I do. I'm more of a Sundrop man. Uh, like the whole like magnets, how does that work? I, you know, like it, there's definitely a strong anti-scientific bent to some of it. But with that being said, I appreciate the reasonableness of their approach and their dedication to their fans. And for that, I, I have to give them major props. I, I'm gonna give them Lieutenant Colonel props. <laughs> what kind of world are we living in where like insane clown posse is, is, is more reasonable than one of like the larger political movements in America? Well, I, I'm actually kind of of the opinion that the Q stuff is more like a cult than it is an actual ideology. It's less about the moment and more about the movement. It's more about community and exclusion of the other. And that is an important, like, it, it is in many ways like Scientology. Are you describing an Apple store? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, so it'll be very interesting to see how this whole thing plays out. Um, we are living in interesting times. And since and, you said your name, does that count as promotional consideration, Apple? <laughs> right. Uh, and speaking of living through interesting times, we've got Klaus Nomi and David Bowie and Iggy Pop and Brock and the Monarch. And at this point, uh, Klaus Nomi and Iggy Pop, uh, who've been, you know, there, they go ahead and start trying to get them. They've been ordered by Phantom Limb to essentially retrieve Dr. And Mrs. the Monarch. Um, David Bowie it, it tries to save the monarch. He steps in front of uh, 
of Klaus's scream, like his high-pitched, shrill contralto, and uh, blocks it. And he kind of fights, like Bowie steps in front, and Iggy says, I've been 30 years of playing the idiot. Now you're going to be my dog. And there are a couple things about this I want to point out. Number one, um, the 1977 album, The Idiot, uh, Iggy Pop's uh, solo album, was produced by Bowie and Tony Visconti. Um, the, actually, Visconti actually also did uh, Bowie's final album, Blackstar. Like, they were together for years. Um, the Idiot has actually been called the beginning of Bowie's Berlin period, and which it, most Bowie fans will tell you is like the, the absolute apogee of David Bowie. Like that is Bowie at his Bowieist. It, it was before the cocaine really took hold. No, this was after the Thin White Duke. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Because like, no, he went to Berlin to like get right. <laughs> no, I, I, I've definitely, uh, I don't know. I've been looking up different Bowie timelines and things uh, for, for other research I don't want to touch into here because that'll explode. <laughs> my right. I've been doing lots of cocaine research. I don't want to talk about it. You want to buy these two cheeseburgers? It mostly involves peeking out of the blinds every five minutes. Oh, right. So you uh, that? there are, uh, so we get a reference in that line to the album, The Idiot. Uh, and actually, fun fact, uh, the album covers for both The Idiot and Bowie's album Heroes, which came out later that year, um, were shot by the same photographer and were done to mimic the same German painting. So you heard it here, folks. David Bowie invented twinning. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the other things he says is, uh, now you're going to be my dog. And of course, uh, there was a song called I Want to Be Your Dog off of that same album. And the album, The Idiot, was named after Fyodor Dostoevsky's novel, The Idiot, about Lev Mishkin. Uh, and the whole premise behind The Idiot was that it was, a, uh, it, it was a misnomer. It was a term used to describe what Dostoevsky was trying to create in the main character of the novel, the world's most perfect, most beautiful man, right? Somebody whose goodness, lack of guile, like innate sense of self made him appear simple and unlearned to the more jaded people who made up everyday life. So they called him an idiot when in fact he was the best of us. And I've always appreciated that, especially in reference to uh, Iggy Pop. <laughs> uh, okay, my favorite Iggy Pop moment ever uh, is actually in the Jim Jarmusch film, uh, Coffee and Cigarettes. <laughs> I knew you were going here. <laughs> so, so, tell me about your favorite Method Man moment. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, I'm wondering, you know, the, the surprising- Bill Murray. <laughs> no, that's, mm, that is so close. But no, uh, Method Man is actually really good in the whackness, uh, which was like a 90s like period piece uh, that came out in- the mid 2000s like it was a wonderful film kind of a kind of an indie thing but anyway back to the wedding because i mean i could talk about wu-tang forever you take you <laughs> did you see the wu-tanglement shirt <laughs> yeah. uh good times so uh iggy at this point makes a bubble like a ball and he throws it to bowie and then says pop which is about as literal as it can get like 
I imagine they actually thought long and hard about what they could possibly make Iggy's superpower. And they ended up settling on this because they were like, none of this other stuff makes any sense. We're just getting too esoteric. No one's going to get this. So it's like, oh, yeah, let's just call it Iggy. Let's make him pop. Things are good. So the ball pops, and David Bowie is destroyed. And in Bowie's place, it's just a pack of cigarettes. Um, like, uh, what was it? Uh, they kind of turns into uh, 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 Klaus is like, uh, ding dong, the queen bitch is dead. And then you get this great exchange between uh, the monarch and Brock. He's like, I'll get the one dressed like Taco, you get Spicoli. <laughs> uh, and Bees, can you explain the Taco reference? I can. Uh, no, uh, it's one of those things. Uh, fun fact about Savage. Fun fact. Fun fact. <laughs> uh, fun fact. Any, any given, like... Uh, We've got... <laughs> <laughs> reverse arching I dig as it. you know <laughs> <laughs> but no uh at any given wedding or even like you know jam session practice session he will totally whip out uh several versions of putting on the ritz uh the taco one does pop up but the taco was a I don't even know where they were from were they an English band uh but yeah they were kind of like a, a new wave 80s uh thing that did like a a banging cover of putting on the ribs. Um, I mean, it's no young Frankenstein, but. Oh, wow. Whoa. I'm about to blow your mind. That's <laughs> all, dickheads. All right. His real name is Taco Okersi. He is known mononymously as Taco. He is an Indonesian born Dutch singer who began his career in Germany. Wow. That guy is Eurovision. <laughs> yeah dude that's like a uh, lou bega lou bega is an algerian uh german or yeah he's german algerian and he's a, he was a german pop star the mabo number five guy yeah wow not hispanic interesting uh wow. neither was taco could have well, I mean, you would think a guy named taco might be like he was like oh you know what? i'm gonna take this name it might be kind of funny no, no, not even remotely. You know, man, uh, was actually his name. It's one of those, like, I wonder how many, like, you know, German folk are like, David Hasselhoff's American? With a name like Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> He's had so many hits over here. His German's really good. Like, <laughs> That's, that, yeah, I, I think you're onto something there. Um, so... That's Taco. And Spicoli, of course, is uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, the character played by Sean Penn. And they go through and they kind of do their fight. Uh, eventually, um, like, Dr. Girlfriend faints. The monarch can't revive her. Um, Brock ends up getting his butt kicked by the tie, I believe. Uh, Dr. Girlfriend gets kidnapped. And then we get to, uh, we get to Hank. I'm sorry, uh, Dean. Sorry, Dean in the engine room. Dean. And he's trying, <laughs> Dean. And he's trying to get anybody on his wrist communicator that he possibly can. He's asking for Brock. Come in, Brock. It's Dean. Come in, Pop. Daddy? Hank? And he sits down in dejection on the stairs. And then he sees an old school beer top, like from Old Light Beer, like literally just a can of beer that just says the word L-I-T-E, light that old school pop top and puts it on his finger. 
and it immediately becomes the ring of power. He puts it on his finger and beholds the ring of power. And the giant boy detective, who is essentially Billy with both eyes, shows up and gives Hank, or sorry, gives Dean the mission. And the mission is to restore the kingdom of Insectia and restore Princess Tinklepants to the throne. Um, and of course, uh, Dean is a little confused by Giant Boy Detective because it doesn't seem very big. What, what you got, Beastliness? So, okay, uh, we've talked about this before, um, and I, I've actually found more evidence to press my point here. We've debated whether or not he's having a psychological snap or there's a gas leak. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Uh, not to skip, I mean, obviously too, too far ahead, but it does, like, I mean, it's, it's at the end of the episode. In the stinger, he's riding on the outside of the X1, and Brock's like, oh, yeah, he does that all the time. Like, you know, we'll just let him up there till he passes out, and then we'll pull him back in. So he's had these psychological snaps on adventures before. He has a history of, like, disassociating reality in order to cope with his situation. <laughs> That's true, and apparently the thing that is making him fall into an endless pit of symbolism and fantasy is not being able to get a hold of his friends on the phone. <laughs> like, can you imagine dating him? Like, what would that be like? I mean, Triana, like, luckily, she called on pretty quickly. She's like, oh, this ain't gonna work. But, like, can you imagine Dean? Uh, he totally, like... And yet later on in season seven, it's Hank who goes nuts when he can't get a hold of his girlfriend. Like it's it's almost like their dad's inability to keep a woman is hereditary, and so they're panicking and overattaching to these women, thus pushing them away. Well, and okay, as as a as a woman, which brand of wet blanket neediness is more appealing? <laughs> Uh, like, Dean, uh, Dean's worse. Hank's better. Hank just sounds like a lost puppy. Dean uh, might be a serial killer. <laughs> Dean okay. grew up at a house with a murder basement. Uh, right. Dean's the kind of guy you walk downstairs and there are like eight refrigerators. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, no, 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 the one on the left. All right. So, so quick roundtable question. Uh, all right, Calamitous Jane. If you were to have a psychological snap because you couldn't reach your friends on the phone, what would your fantasy world be? Like actual high fantasy or like any kind of fantasy? No, no, like the, the same like fantasy that like, you know, Dean gets into. Like he, okay. it's mostly like, you know, never ending story with like other kind of like 80s tropes. Like there's a, you know, Rats of Nim reference, but let's call it never ending story. Right, so where wait, would wait. psychological? I was going to say Zena. Okay, good. That's a good one. Right. Uh, what like so essentially, if you were to have a psychological break, what fantasy realm would you inhabit? And it doesn't have to be realms like the realms. It can just be like whatever your fantasy world would be made up of. It could be Tron. It could be Blade Runner. It, it could be Secret of Nim. It could be The Land Before Time. It could be anything. Yeah. Correct. Um. Probably some kind of like weird cross between Xena and like Star Trek. I, I like, like sci-fi, to... but I'm also thinking of like a badass warrior princess. 
I'm trying to picture this, and all I'm getting are like elements of like uh, Barbarella and Zardoz. Barbarella is a good <laughs> way to put it, too, I think. Zardoz. Uh, I actually saw, the, I saw that come up on my, my Fire Stick queue, and I didn't watch it, but I watched the trailer. Uh, <laughs> Colonel Gentleman is dressed spectacularly for that film. <laughs> <laughs> Those that that whole that that whole thing it was a it was a magical time in American cinema, um, yeah. I, in uh, so for mine, did you ever see the movie Forty Days and Forty Nights? Yeah. Yes. All right. Do you remember when he has his psychological break? He has that dream. Yeah. That's what mine would be like. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I don't know. I mean, because I could go a few different places. Like, I could just as easily end up in, like, Bob's Burgers as I could, like, Twin Peaks. <laughs> Both of those sound awful. <laughs> for, for a whole different reason. Holy, there's a cicada in my room somewhere. <laughs> no, no, it's a well-cada. Zing. Uh, but, yeah, no, uh, for, for wholly different reasons, like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I would enjoy Bob's Burgers. I could enjoy hanging out with like, you know, Mort and Teddy and, you know, spectating on some feral kids. Like, Don't you do that eat? already? Yeah, I mean, that, that, <laughs> Dude, you are living Bob's best life. <laughs> I mean, and like the thing about Twin Peaks is I would either just be confused all the time or I would stay at home terrified about what's outside. No, dude, like Twin Peaks is what, like, Twin Peaks is like, let's make an Evil Dead TV series. <laughs> let's make, oh. let's combine Evil Dead with Dallas and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> They're doing Wait, it. If oh. I could change You're... mine, I would go American Horror Story, but I get to be the killer. Interesting. Oh, yeah. That's almost like, yeah, I snapped and I lived in equal parts Dexter and Hannibal. <laughs> no, uh, mm -hmm. Isn't that's, that one of the things about the? Isn't that one of the things about the dream state is that you are like separated from conventional thinking, conventional morality. Like anything that you do in a dream does not necessarily have to be a reflection of what you are, what you think you're supposed to do. It's well, all id. Well, what if your psychological disassociation takes the form of inception? <laughs> so you're gonna be pretentious about it <laughs> oh oh christopher nolan's so sad right now are, are, are you gonna make a dream about dreaming right it's like yeah i mean at what point is it like you know you catch somebody's just on the outside of your state watching you try to walk up a wall <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was always like uh, like the cool thing about lucid dreaming is anytime you realize you're dreaming, you are instantly Neo in the Matrix. Yeah, I, I've actually achieved that a couple of times, but I didn't I didn't have the opportunity to kind of keep pressing into it. I got to that stage where I could remember that I was in a dream, but the second I did, it was almost like something picked me up, like I was floating and pulled me right back to myself in bed. Like, no matter what I'm doing in the dream, boop, 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 like I'm in the grocery store, and then I look down at my watch, and my watch says it's like spaghetti 30, and I'm like, that's not a time. I'm in a dream. <laughs> and then like, it, I, for like five minutes, I can feel me being pulled backward into waking consciousness. 
uh, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> you never woke up. <laughs> we are all living 2020. This episode of Black Mirror writ large is just <laughs> braced. Dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, this is, what a merry day this is. I, I did that was not, amazing. I did not, I did not, I saved it. I'll go 250. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I'll go you're 250. Not, you're not just putting the tip in. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be right back. I need a pin. We're marking today. You know what? I, yeah, I, I'll own it. I'll own it. Uh, I didn't say it, though. I did not say it, but I will own it because that's fair. That was amazing. Uh, Christ. Monday, <laughs> July 22nd. Or 22nd uh, on the uh, Helper Podcast Network, that is Hinch Life Pirate Radio, uh, will ever be for ce like celebrating uh, Savage Day. <laughs> <laughs> July 20th, 2020. You, you know what? I, I realize this is completely off topic, but when you're trying to refer to like a year that is other than the calendar year that begins with this year, like a uh, fiscal year, you, you're just saying 2020, 2021. You just say 23 times <laughs> and then say 21. It's just, it's just a whole lot of 20s. 2020, 2021. It's, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, you know who else is enjoying things? Giant boy detective who's dressed like Data from the Goonies. And uh, he is not enjoying things. Yeah, he is trying to lead Dean on this amazing mystery, this super cool mystery, uh, to save Princess Tinglepants, who is uh, essentially Triana Orpheus. Um, giant boy detective then leads the way with his magic flashlight, which he needs magic batteries for. Uh, once he gets the light on the wall, an image of pink clouds and blue sky appears. And is and, this a reference to uh, what dreams may come? I, perhaps. Fun fact. Actually, no, I can't, I can't say it because it would reveal too much. Uh, I'll tell you after the show. Uh, but What Dreams May Come was a Richard Matheson novel along with uh, I Am Legend. Richard Matheson is one of, the, uh, one of the gifts that keeps on giving to movies. Interesting. Okay. That man was amazing. I strongly recommend his work. Um, so... We then get the order of the triad, and everyone's piling into the jet, uh, and they're going to prepare the X one to go rescue the others because uh, his uh, what what was it he called it, the tie pin, the Montel Williams, the Montel pin? Williams tie pin. Um, <laughs> dude, I was at a party in Vegas once, and uh, Montel Jordan was performing for us. And so he got out there and the DJ introduced him as Montel Williams. <laughs> oh, oh <Twice. no. laughs> Oh, you poor sad man. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, um, we've got, we've got, we've got. <laughs> we've got. Uh, everybody trying to go and save everyone. And of course, they are joined not just by uh, the Alchemist and Dr. Orpheus and Jefferson Twilight, but they've also got Neon Nub with them. And uh, <laughs> Alchemist feels some out, type of way about this. Passed out, uh, nickel nipped up like <laughs> Jefferson Twilight. Yeah. I, I went back and rewatched the scene. He's like, in a diabetic coma. Yeah, rewatched the scene like two or three times. And like, so he's leaned up against the window, 
while and like sleeping, you know, passed out while Al and uh, you know Dr. O kind of have this out. Like, you know, I, I, how how am I supposed to help from back here in the kitty seat? He's like, well, I'm not the one who materialized him from a trading card. Well, I thought we should have killed him because you know he's an abomination or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> all while all that's happening, while Doctor O can't even find where to clip in his seatbelt. Yeah, and, and then Jefferson wakes up, like just for a moment, and says some wonderful like lines that I've totally overlooked more than once. He's like, "What if they're like half alive? Like I hit this dog one time, <laughs> and he's just doing this like you know sleepy like I just woke up ramble, <laughs> and the just debating like you know yeah I hit this dog one time and I think he was half alive. <laughs> like, oh, it's what? <laughs> oh you laugh because it hurts speaking of hurting (laughs) it turns out he's only mostly dead yeah Uh, (laughs) have fun storming the castle so the alchemist is upset about sitting back there and it's actually it turns out to be a really good thing because orpheus can't fly the jet he doesn't have magic crystal coordinators right so luckily, Nian was <laughs> magic that? guy. He's like magic guy. Never flew an experimental jet. Magic. <laughs> right. uh, luckily, the abomination they materialized from a trading card knows how to fly things. Uh, he is, in fact, the pilot from the for the Millennium, the co-pilot from the Millennium Falcon in Return of the Jedi. So this makes it really easy to get where they need to go. He's like uh, Chewie. Yeah. So we then go back to the cocoon where Brock is trying to get the monarch to get the cocoon up so that they can essentially fly away from the armada, right? Monarch wakes up, they've got the armada of guild, uh, the armada of guild Wasps outside. Brock's like, this thing flies, right? You've got weapons? At which point 21 says, yeah, we just came back from south of the border and I got an ass load of M80s. Now, obviously, uh, when Beast and I heard this, our experience of this line was very different than almost everyone else in the world who heard it. And Beast, could you explain why? So on the mythical stretch of highway of I-95 in North Carolina. <laughs> in that, that realm known as I-95, home to such Xanadus as Cafe Risqué. <laughs> uh, you will start seeing about what 120 miles out or, or something ridiculous uh even maybe even farther than that uh signs Dude, they've got them in virginia for, for south of the border really yeah yeah what I'm, all right uh i i have to check out the one in virginia now i think that's that's the far that might be the northernmost naturally occurring <laughs> south of the border. <laughs> it's like a palm tree <laughs> you thought Wilmington was uh, the farthest north palm trees would go. Uh, no, 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 it's not Wilmington. It's uh, you go far enough north, you get naturally occurring billboards for south of the border. <laughs> but they only grow in the temperate zone. Right. <laughs> so it's this weird roadside attraction. Uh, it was actually featured in the movie Forces of Nature with Sandra Bullock and uh, Batfleck. Um and uh, it, it's this very tacky Mexican-themed rest stop area with, like, these weird attractions. And just for a little bit of reference, um, 
in North Carolina, South Carolina is very much like our Mexico. That's where you go to get things you can't get in North Carolina, i.e. certain kinds of like gambling and fireworks. Or married. Or married. Yeah, you can get married. Broadway. Yeah, it, it, it's like um, South Carolina is the Atlantic, like the, the New Jersey of the South. Like the Atlantic City of the South, like it's always in decline, but never hitting bottom. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's pretty poignant. Um, I actually, actually I, I nicked that line from uh, How I Met Your Mother. I, I can't take credit for that. So I just looked this up, and the owner at one point had more than 250 billboards up along I-95. The farthest north was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The farthest south was Daytona Beach, Florida. Oh, wow. And okay, the, the, the thing about these billboards are, these are not just flat standard billboards. Like they're cheesy, they have gimmicks, it's always like- They have a car stapled to them? Like yeah. an actual Are they car. shaped like a sombrero? I mean, no. you've got Pedro on there. They do have Pedro. No, the sombrero, uh, so they have like a, a space needle sombrero thing, like no shit, that's like five stories tall. Oh my god. Yeah, it is the most like just tacky, like vaguely racist. Like, uh, I'm it, Mexican. This sounds amazing. What are you talking about? I want to go. I mean, I, I had. I didn't realize there. Jane I was Hispanic. It. I am. No, no, I didn't realize the name, last name Jane was a Hispanic last name. Is that just like <laughs> the first among many of your last names? Yes. <laughs> I'll. I'll... I'll tell you my real name later, but I oh, am Mexican. He was, he was trying to lure you into a trap. <laughs> I'm not going for it. One name. See, it, it, it's like I'm Mr. Mixel Click. If I can get you to say your own name, <laughs> that's a hundred dollars. Not falling for this arch. <laughs> Uh, well, and not everybody can have names that mean something. Like uh, Beast last name. You want to tell what it means? My last name? Story. Yeah. Uh, my last name means a few things, but the best interpretation is uh, Village Idiot. I mean, when I say best, like the most humorous, <laughs> obviously that's not like the best for my self-esteem. That's, that's not what I thought when I heard your last name. I was thinking uh, yeah. of something more fun, but okay. No, no. Uh, I mean, we, we are a lot of fun. Uh, we're very much, we were, you know, known as partiers uh, in, in the old world. Um, we actually used to loan uh, Henry VIII his his like really balling outfits to go meet a new wife before he beheaded her. Uh, but like, uh, yeah, no, uh, it, there's a few villages. And so most commonly, uh, you know, it was somebody who lived near or in one of these villages. It's also a kind of uh, woodland bird, um, you know, that's, that's fun to go like... Uh, a joke related to snipe hunting, um, but it also uh, very colloquially means village idiot. So. It's also very colloquial, very colloquially, a double entendre for other things. Oh, it's definitely an innuendo. <laughs> In your endo. Oh, dude, I really, it, like, it, well delivered, sir. Well delivered. You know what else is well delivered? The order of the triad to the cocoon by the time we get done with this episode. In like three hours. We'll but before there. we can get there, 
we've got Brock. What do we have? We've got Brock. What do we have? As we've you done. know, Brock is in <laughs> the monarch. And they're trying to get it to fly so it can escape the guild loss and making sure they've got weapons. 21's excited about these M80s. And we see uh, the monarch trying to get them motivated. We see Brock start running them around, at which case the monarch says, no, 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 don't, don't call them henchmen. They prefer to be called minions. And they says, battle stations. And the entire wedding disappears and is replaced with the, the what do you call it? The ready room, the action room, the command center. Like, does it have a name? Uh, I mean, I guess command center is is uh, the most accurate because I, I mean, can you call, call it the it throne room? The cocoon? The throne room. The throne okay. Room? Yeah. I, I think they've said that once. Well, and so uh, what I love about it is actually if you pay attention, uh, because something we've gotten very used to is two thrones. This is the last time you actually see Dr. Girlfriend's seat off to the side, which is a very Star Trek reference. It looks like Uhura's seat. You know, it's got like a little like monitor in front of it and stuff. Um, but then like, you know, uh, oh. <laughs> and then as you know, uh, they do eventually install a, uh, a second throne for uh, Dr. Mrs. the Monarch uh, after, after the wedding. So the Monarch is activated the throne room for battle stations uh, and it's magenta and Brock has given him all kinds of shit about this to which the Monarch just replies, eat a dick and thanks. <laughs> you know, and I was thinking about it. If you know full well, if Prince was an arch, his battle color would be magenta, and that shit would be majestic, dude. It, you know as well as I do, Prince would never have been a villain. Prince was one hundred thousand percent the hero. One hundred thousand percent. We saw Purple Rain. He's he's the underdog hero. Like, I would even venture to say he would dabble in some, like, anti-hero. Hmm. So he was a little more Elric, you know, in that sense. Like, uh, you know, uh, a villain at heart who was compelled through fate to act in favor of law. Y yes, that, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Climatus Jane, uh, are you familiar with, with Prince and... Uh, the the visual luxuriousness oh, yeah. that is Purple Rain. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. So, what kind of villain costume would you design for for his holy purpleness? Well, it's gonna be purple, obviously. <laughs> wow! Is that all you? That's all you need. Love, it's Prince. Anything costume. Prince has worn is a villain costume. You know what I've kind of always assumed Prince's like hero costume would be? It's the one that he's wearing where like it's kind of like tight. He's got the flared little boot cut stuff down at the bottom and but it's got the deep plunge v-neck and like his superpower is he could pull a guitar from like a flying v guitar from that v and strike enemies down with his power cords. Dude, uh, I mean, that'd be dope. And it tracks because Prince was low key one of the greatest guitar players in the world, and no, yes, he did. was. He got very little credit for it. Uh, um, Plectrum Electrum was delightful, and he wouldn't pull out a flying V. 
you know he would pull out that Prince guitar with that big phallic <laughs> curve on it. Like, he's the kind of, and here's why I say he's a super villain. The same reason why Michael Jackson, like from Moonwalker or Do You Remember the Time would be a super villain. He just busts in there, steals your girl and goes, hee hee, into the wind. <laughs> so Prince is totally going to bust up in there, like, you know, into your anti-dance footloose town steal your girl onto that like purple motorcycle and like just ride off into the sunset. Speaking of someone in purple stealing your girl, we've got Phantom <laughs> Limb stolen Dr. Girlfriend. Oh, come on. Tell me that wasn't good. That was good. It was perfect. That was good. So was perfect. Phantom Limb has stolen Dr. Girlfriend. He's gotten her in his ship. What was it we called it last time? We had a name for the ship. Oh. Vod said, I don't remember. Oh, it was it was good too. Oh, what was it? Hamilton Starship. Oh yeah, Hamilton. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> Hamilton Starship. Uh Vod Villain, shout out. We're sorry you couldn't join us this week. We look forward to having you back next week. Uh so we've got Hamilton Starship floating along, and Phantom Limb has got Dr. Girlfriend there. And he's trying to convince her to kind of uh, what does he says? slip out of that tacky little white lie and put on your Queen Etheria costume and take your rightful place at my side. And this is after she's like, uh, oh, this is after she gives us a really good reference to, she says, uh, what are you? Are you supposed to be from the future? And put on a shirt. I can't believe you sticking your, sticking your two stooges on me. And then Klaus knows, he's like, I wasn't in the stooges. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact he wants her to trade one tacky white lie for another. Uh, yeah. Well, or an I, even more the, tacky white lie. Well, and I love the, like, uh, subtle, you know, wedding trope here. Uh, like, twice she's been approached by various levels of, like, skeezy dudes, like, trying to ruin her marriage out of the start. They're like, she's like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> so, let me be perfectly honest, though. Uh, I, what does it say about her character that so many men are trying to shoot their last shot? Like, it's not unfitting that a man named Hamilton is trying to take his shot, <laughs> right? Oh, that's a good reach there, Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> and, you know, trying to stop her from marrying someone else because they know in their heart that she should be with them only because they're not paying attention to what's in her heart. But when has that ever stopped a man before? It's like well, men he, don't bother to actually think about the women. The who? Guys just think about themselves, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> Listen, so, there is nothing more important than my egomania. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I mean- Wasn't uh, that a who concept album? <laughs> no i mean uh the, the thing is uh really you know uh rusty doesn't care about her character like he cares about the fact that she was attracted and gave him attention right and then you know come to find out like hamilton while maybe having like a bit of a romantic axe to grind that this is you know a little bit of a a larger scheme at play so, I mean, it's not like they really ever, I mean, in, even Hamilton did at some point, like, I guess, really get to know her, but didn't. And that was the problem, right? Um, so, I mean, 
she's she's very much like it, these guys are just because she looks great like i mean sheila is is beautiful like that's the whole point you know she's kind of one of those total package ladies you know brains beauty voice uh <laughs> and it's it's one of those like they don't know how awesome she really is they're just being like petty male horn dogs about the whole situation i have a question for you is there one character like is now obviously the venture brothers does not have a wide array of female characters right but right. the ones that we have are really like dynamic in many cases right uh whereas can you name a single male character in the series that actually combines the same elements that sheila manages to combine like brock? name one yeah but would you say brock is the total package uh okay so, I, I i don't think i would well no I mean, brock is i mean he's learning about himself and he's open but i mean there's definitely some like you know deficiencies there as in terms deadpool of is more of a total package than brock is okay deadpool's got a sense of humor brock not his strong suit <laughs> fair enough um deadpool can also say spaghetti <laughs> yes, he can. Yes, he can. Uh, sure, true he, weakness. He looks like a shriveled <laughs> wizard testicle, but like he's, you know, he's got a lot going for him. But like, but name, is there a male character that we get in the series other than Super Ego Rusty? Yeah. In theory, the in universe, in universe, Jonas would be considered that, but we as viewers know he's a piece of garbage. If I, I talk mm. about uh, the, like Jonas the father. Yeah. Jonas Senior. Oh yeah, that dude's a piece of shit. Like that's yeah, but he, he's in he's universe. Not, yeah, but again, you, you say in universe, like the things that we've seen about him in universe don't make it very clear that he's a piece of shit. Like the dude is a horrible father, a bad person, and it like he is a is serial so abuser. What's that? This is gonna be so good because when I say it, I'm just going to knock both of you the fuck back right on your chairs. It's All right, hit me. Uh who is the total package, sir? In 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 as far as like the male contingency, because here's the thing: lately on Twitter, I've been seeing a disturbing fan trend where like uh, people are fantasizing about relationships in people who who are bad at relationships. And bitch, like there are people like so oh, Dean, Doctor O. Hank. Well, Doctor Doctor O. Dude, yeah, like Doctor. Oh, o. it's Triana. It's uh, it's uh, Doctor O. It's Triana. No, 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 no. Hang on, I'm making a point here. Just. Oh. Buckle up, we're going on a ride. Um, so they're like, you know, oh, Dr. O looks like he would be amazingly romantic and this, that, and the other. I'm like, yeah, that's why his wife left him. Why so, are you, you reading know, my Twitter? Yeah. You, you, Don't call me out. Well, and then like, you know, somebody was also like, oh yeah, you know, JJ even. And I'm like, uh, he's also a distant intellectualist husband who, you know, you watch his entire relationship with sally impossible crumble at least dr o is a dilf jj's just a piece of garbage no the correct answer to your both like the question here is red death yeah oh yeah that's a good one red oh, death yeah. is good uh and uh, uh triana's stepdad i think no. might be like and the re well no. what so tell me why let's see 
fact he takes time to cheat at his own wizardry just to fast track his own career just to look cooler for everybody right. else cheat at his wizardry what what instance are you referring to put isn't he the one? guy who put got it implanted an amulet yeah he put an amulet in his noodle to to traverse between realms yeah uh, okay um and you know here's the thing also like they have a really weird relationship. I mean, he's he's not one of those like necessarily like outwardly bad guys, but he did kind of like take advantage of his mentor's Mentors. wife because he knew that that relationship was distant. This is very much a Guinevere Lancelot situation. Oh, okay. But also like let's be honest, he's just kind of a fucking putz. Well, and I always assumed that <laughs> he was creepy. an ode to 80s hair metal douchebags. Like, early night. Like, he's the kind of guy who would have made a Creed video. Right. No, exactly. Bingo. And and he's totally, like, uh, he, he says that one line, and Dean has the perfect, like, you know, response. He's like, you know, a wise man once said, uh, maybe it was Baba OJ, you can never step foot in the same river twice. And then Dean just <laughs> like, Fuck you. And here's the thing. <laughs> That's actually like a very explorable philosophical premise. Well, it's not Baba OJ, dude. That's Heraclitus. Well, yeah. Now, and I know it's not actually Baba OJ. Uh, although, I mean, he is a wise man. And very much a wise man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, like, you know, when, when Heraclitus said it, he, he literally meant you're never going to touch the same water you touched the last time. You know, it, it is a complicated premise, but... Dean here is dejected. He doesn't want like your fucking high-minded, almost Zen Cohen philosophy here. Like, no, fuck you, man. Like, I'm going through some shit. <laughs> I think that you're definitely onto something with Red Death. Uh, that is so good. We've got a man who is extraordinarily professionally competent. He really enjoys his job. <laughs> right. He separates work life from home life. Yep. He makes time for the kids. The relationship he has with his daughter is excellent. The relationship he has with his wife, from what we've seen, is good. Oh, dude, uh, and you see him make moves. Like, the reason he makes moves to the council is so then he can get the retirement package. Yeah, so He can spend yeah. more time with the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think we may have just solved the... Yeah, and of course, if, you know, Sheila is the total package for women in the Ventureverse... Red Death is a total package for men. Although, again, when we say total package, Red Death is pretty horrifying to look at. What are you talking about? He's, he's buff. He's got a nice smile. Kind if eyes. If you're fighting Captain America in 1940, yes. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, uh, obviously his wife could get past, like, the whole Red Skull thing. Uh, Beast, you, you are living proof that a great personality and skills in the bedroom can overcome how you look on the outside. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, again, we're saying total package, right? Like, it's Red Death. Does Red Death fit that? Like, yes. Could you say total package and be horrifying to look at? He's not well, I mean, horrifying, you say to, look horrifying at. to look at. Like, He's okay. a skull. <laughs> no, no, You've he's seen Beast. Skull. No, no, okay. He's a skull. He's got... <laughs> He's a there is nothing forward. conventionally attractive about him. He's yeah, got no. great cheekbones. He That's all he has. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, he's got, like, okay, here's the thing. 
He's You're a, not he's going not a, to convince me that Red Death is the listen to his motherfucker voice. in listen the goddamn deep, universe. Sultry voice. And also, okay, here's the thing. Uh, the, he's got the, a great face for radio. Well, and the receptors for you know the receptors for like arousal and fear are actually very close to each other <laughs> on, on the brain. That's how I like to make sure I'm. That's how I get my women ready. I scare them by showing them episodes of Twin Peaks repeatedly. Oh, dude, and the only thing they can come to my house is if I throw him in the trunk first. <laughs> right. But uh, no, look at it like this: he's got like a cow Drogo body, but a Skeletor face. It's like you really want to make it? No, we, like we 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 have you know uh, what is it like? Makeup sex is best, which is why the words I whisper in her ear when I really want to get in the mood are "Your sister was better." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's it. Speaking of being <laughs> in uncomfortable situations and hoping to make your way out of them with style, uh, Sheila is clearly upset with what Phantom Limb has done and is chastising him roundly for essentially throwing his career away. She's talking about how the Sovereign is going to be so upset, and of course the Stooges are laughing. And uh, I'm not in, I wasn't there in wasn't the Stooges. In the Stooges. <laughs> Did you add a little bit of Kermit to that one this time? Uh, yeah, I was Rainbow Connection. <laughs> no, I was, I was totally exhaling a, a little bit of cigarette smoke and that, that hit me in the back. I wasn't in the Stooges. Kermit? <laughs> Am I still hitting like a Muppet thing? I watched <laughs> yeah. Muppet Treasure Island earlier. Got, like, you know, uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm a thirty-five. Poodly, poodly, I'm a thirty-five-year-old man, and I will like sit down and watch a Muppet movie without my kids. Like, no, this is me time. <laughs> right. I was. I lit some candles, drew a bath, you know, seduced myself with the Muppets. <laughs> I mean, uh, and you've got to check out like the YouTube videos. Like they do, you know that one song, Popcorn. Uh huh. So which one like, by uh, by uh, um. It's like a, it, it's like a really uh, it, a dance track. Yeah, yeah. Because um, immediately I thought percolator, but no, no, it's popcorn. Um, so it's Swedish chef, like tapping on stuff in the kitchen while he's cooking and doing like popcorn. Like it's it's just a load of fun. Um, if you don't like Muppets, uh, basically. Oh, hot butter. Hot butter was hot dolphin. <laughs> hot dolphin. <laughs> We got to make T-shirts that say "Hot Dolphin" now. I, I would be totally up for that, as long as they're magenta. I want a banana hammock with a hot dolphin. <laughs> right. Come on, baby! <laughs> you want? You guess where the dolphin whistles out of his blowhole? <laughs> you saying that is worse than what you think Red Death looks like. Uh, and that is why Savage can never go back to SeaWorld. <laughs> no man i wasn't looking for edmer tully i was looking for a date <laughs> is that, that that's a little esoteric we'll skip that one all right so <laughs> sheila is roundly chastising hamilton who then reveals that the sovereign is dead and this is absolutely shocking to her and he laughs because he is the sovereign now the wafts are attacking the cocoon launches and we get a little bit uh, oh crap 
I forgot to mention that Rusty was sitting on the throne when the monarch walked over and he was eating the food that was meant for the reception. I just need to make sure we put that in there. The monarch told Rusty to get the we fuck just, out of his chair. We just need to add to the list of Rusty being the worst person. He's <laughs> such a dick, but he's got some humor. He is not a humorless dick. I mean... He's uh, definitely not the perfect man. We get a little bit of uh, witty repartee about the cocoon flying, which is a joke that has appeared in numerous episodes. And Brock's like, a cocoon that flies? That makes no sense. Why not make it shaped like a butterfly? To which the monarch replies, because that's gay? <laughs> in his magenta colored. In his magenta colored, like, throne room wearing a butterfly costume. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Uh, and this is also where we get Brock talking to the Horde as their commander. He comes in, he's like, I'm a new commander. I know I've beat on most of you in the past. And like, you see this squad of people. I forgive you, Brock Samson. Yeah, like scattered around. You've got the guy with the tattoo ink all over his face from the previous episode where they captured him. Um, I was asking for it. I forgive you, Brock Samson. I was I asking you, for Brock it. Samson. I love you. And of course, I know I've beat on most of you in the past. God knows a child could take you one-on-one. -on -one. But together, you're unstoppable. As of this moment, you're no longer butterflies. You're butterflies! He owns it. He owns it, and they are juiced. They're not butterflies. They are murderflies. And then they point to the wings. And, of course, one of the hints, is it 21, who's like, oh, these are for showing, not for blowing? <laughs> <laughs> the wings don't work. They're just, they're just for show. Turns out they do work, and everybody manages to figure it out simultaneously. <laughs> Well, and I love the that you referenced the the tattoo faced henchman. Like that would be my upgrade. Like I survived a Brock Samson attack, and I have this cool super villain tattoo, like Brock Samson original. This is the only tattoo he's ever. Oh, done. dude, yeah, that's like how Boba Fett managed to sell Han Solo to Jabba the Hutt by telling him it was an original Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, this is an original Brock Samson. No, dude, yeah, it's it's like uh, Phantom Limb selling art. Like, no, it's an original Darth Vader. That's evil, right? <laughs> right. So they figure out that the wings work. And, you know, of course, everyone's like, this changes everything. And Hank wants to help. And he's trying to convince Brock to let him help. He's like, come on, Brock. I probably know judo. And I love this line. This says so much about Hank. And it's also something that we've seen before, especially uh, when, uh, what was it, when Kevin was trying to get into the monarch's room? He's like, come on, I probably have secret mind powers. Okay, uh, me. so Calamitous Jane, when you receive this mustache, this Keanu Reeves mustache. I'm gonna be uh, Russian Gaevich for Halloween now. No, I was gonna say, if you put it on, do you know Kung Fu? I, <laughs> I probably know how to shoot a gun. <laughs> <laughs> like I put on this mustache and like all of a sudden these Russian guys are after me, but like all of a sudden I'm really them. good at air guitar. <laughs> <laughs> or really good at communicable diseases. Too soon. Oh. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have another fun Keanu fact. I didn't go to the same high school, but I went to the rival high school. Uh, Bill and Ted go to 
in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I live one town off from that that high school. So you, <laughs> there's there's math here. All right, so <laughs> you went to the high school that is the rival of the high school that is featured in the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure musical? Yeah. I, I, I've heard worse. Yeah, no, um, uh, I went and... to college at the high school from One Tree Hill. <laughs> uh, my, my actual and that's high worse. school. My actual high school I went is... to college at the high school from One Tree Hill. Where did you go to college? I went to college at the high school from One Tree Hill. I didn't want to wait for my life to be over. <laughs> no, that's Dawson's Creek. That's Dawson's I, I know, I know. It's also, um, also filmed in Wilmington. Ever, just go ever seen The Graduate? I have. You know that church from the end of it? Yeah. My high school's across the street from that. Nice. Now, I also live wait, like... is that the same church from the John Cicada video? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I also Ooh, live buddy, a couple... Buddy, I never ten. thought I would ever have to like <laughs> use that information for anything. You've been saving that up. John Cicada, here's a shout out to you because we thought this was just going to be another day, but it wasn't. It wasn't another day without you. I'm also like, um, was it one or two or three towns over from where they used to film Knight Rider? Like, where did you grow up? In the middle, like she grew up in the psychological snap that I'm having. Like, 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 did you California. grow up? Oh, no, no. I, I grew up in the city. It was also known as like the NGM backlot. <laughs> like, where did you go to school? I'm, oh, a, I'm a 30 minute drive from Disneyland. No, yeah, like, so I you... mean, like, California is is my like psychological snap. Like, all right, so you uh, went down to high school down the road from the Bill and Ted uh, High School, and, and then, uh, you know, That's somewhere really in there, you know, I'm sure like the Now I have Keanu Reeves' mustache. <laughs> That's even cooler. I'm going to wear it and go over there and take pictures. <laughs> Yeah, you could go to church in places where people steal steal other people's wives. Wait a minute, wouldn't that be arching the high school? Damn right, I'm gonna arch yeah, it. Yeah, well, yeah, it would be. It's like no, no. I not only am like I. It's like uh, from Monster University where they steal uh, the fear pig. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I was actually considering ordering a fake diploma from Monsters University. <laughs> Do it. Buy me one. I need. I need a third one. Make my resume look better. Right. Well, add that to the CV. Let's just see who picks up on it. <laughs> if you hire me, we both know we like the same things. I was a part of um, your world. Was it Eta Eta Hiss? Eta Eta Hiss. Yeah. Or at least Uzma Kappa. Either yeah, one. Right. Oh no! I, I I would totally be be lumped into to Uzma Kappa. Um, <laughs> I'm not Aurora Mega Aurora. Like I, I understand this about me, and that's kind of look like Don. Well, and and that's one of the things. Uh, one of my favorite things in movies are the fake fraternities, like the one from uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Lambda, lambda, lambda. Bingo, and, uh, and Omega Mu. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I, I also appreciate it from Monster University. Jaws Theta Chi, which spelled out jocks. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. So at this moment, as Brock is motivating the minions, as they prefer to be called, Hank wants to join in, and Brock will not let him do so. And he demands of Brock, why? Why must you be the screen door on my submarine? And then we bounce over to Dean the Brave. 
dressed like a Treyu from the never-ending story, whose job it is to free the orphans of Insectia, and he's got to pass the great white oracle, which is Pete White, standing next to him, throwing mad shade on Dean, is of course the rat from The Secret of Nim, who is also Rusty Venture. Uh, just doing everything he could to just tear him down. Oh, uh, the great white oracle is well, he's like listed, he's listed in the credit as Doctor Rat. Yeah, so Doctor Rat <laughs> saying he's clearly incompetent and a crybaby. At which point Dean starts crying. I'm not a crybaby. I can do this. I'm the chosen one. And he holds up his ring of power. At which point it falls off. So even how in- how does a fist drop a ring? Uh, when you're Dean, do you think you can properly make a fist? Fair point. He's probably doing that thing where, like, you know, uh... Happy hands? If you haven't been in a fist fight and you go to make a fist and you put your thumb on the outside instead of, like, thumb on the... Or Or thumb on the inside, so the outside. Yeah, or even, like, on the the outside of the hand, like, yeah, I mean, and... You know, I, I took martial arts classes for years, and uh, one of the things that always astounded me was teaching the the new students how to punch, because you think it's a it's an inevitable like a, a just a instinctual thing to make a fist and throw it at somebody, but no, like uh, we had a guy like dislocate his thumb from <laughs> wrapping it on the inside of his hand, and so Dean is totally that guy. I get it. I remember when I was taught to make a fist, I was getting bullied on the bus when I was four. And uh, my neighbor, Big Eric, uh, had to show me how to fight. And he was like, he was like 16. He was massively tall. And uh, he was trying to show me. And I remember holding my fist like this with my thumb tucked inside because intuitively, I don't know if you see it or if it's just something like if you're holding on to something, your fist feels stronger. And so you've got your thumb there. So like with your fingers, it feels stronger wrapped around them. Like, oh, it'd be fine. But of course that is until you actually try to hit something. Whereas if you got your thumb on the outside, it's much stronger and you get, you have to make your fingers tighter. And like, I remember being taught that and being very confused because it seemed dumb. Like to my four year old mind, it was like, you obviously want your thumb inside. (laughs) I was taught to grab weapons. Well, and that's not the last time he's ever said that. (laughs) (laughs) so dean is not a crybaby no no, don't don't, he picks it up and (laughs) brock is then sending all the murder flies out to attack they're launching out of the cocoon and we've got a man in an old style uh, henchman's uniform with the what, what? What did you call it? The black faux fur. Well, it, it had a name. Um, garbage. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wearing. I'm sorry. It's French. Wearing the garbage, and uh, you know the old style uniform from the pilot. And Brock reaches out a hand and stops. Now Hank is in disguise as Russian Guyevich with the mustache and goatee uh, from who is it? Uh, Quisp. Uh, I'm sorry. Quisp. Quisp. Yep. Uh, from the Quist doll, I'm sorry, maquette bust <laughs> from 21's. Uh, it's definitely not a toy uh, from 21's secret stash. And uh, they, of course, they have a few moments of, uh, of conversation. They say, hold up, soldier. We launch and wave. And Hank's in costume. You know, a few moments pass. They kind of have some general, like, generic chat. And then Brock says, see you on the other side, and shoves him out the door. Uh, 
Now, Hank, despite the fact that everyone around him has figured out how the wings work simultaneously, Hank apparently wasn't paying enough attention and his wings are not working. He is plummeting to his death. But then who swoops down to grab him and rescue him from his imminent demise? It is Brock. And that's when it's revealed that Hank is in fact out there with him. Now, Brock is giving advice to the rest of the squad. Uh, Use the canyon for cover. No clumping up like a JV soccer team. Fire and fall back, fire and fall back, fire and fall back. you know, then we're back to Phantom Limb, and uh, he's having a conversation with uh, Iggy Pop. And we get another great Iggy Pop line here when he says, uh, what is it? I am a street-walking cheetah with a heart full of napalm. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I hear that line, all I can, like, see in my mind is Bill Murray as Steve Zissou, like, breaking his bonds and, like, going to town on, on like, you know, the, the you know, sea pirates and all that. Well, as opposed to the land pirates, but uh, no, uh, probably the most well-known uh, like Stooges track ever. Yes, it pops up uh, Search and Destroy. Oh, well, I, I, I'm sorry, except for maybe Lust for Life, because that yeah. got... Thanks, Train Spotting. Well, Train Spotting, and then of course, like, you know, car commercials after that. Like, you know, uh, that song really took care of Iggy Pop so then he could sit across from a table at Tom Waits and, you know, be petty about the songs on the jukebox. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, in the Grand Canyon, the battle is taking place. Phantom Limb is on the Hamilton Starship. Uh, and he tells the Armada to stand their ground and let the murder flies come to him. Uh, Dr. Girlfriend, I'm sorry, Dr. And Mrs. The Monarch still can't believe that, you know, Hamilton is now the sovereign. And the real plan was to kill the sovereign, David Bowie, and take his place. And that all of this with her was pretty much just a setup. Um, Iggy wants to go get into the action, but, you know, he's got to go have a cigarette first. He can't smoke inside. So he's got to step outside to have a cigarette. And he climbs up on top. Uh, I'm sorry, actually, he offers one to Klaus, who says, no thanks, I have to save my voice. <laughs> right? um, and we get this great uh, interaction between 24 and 21. Uh, my notes for this are just, my squad's mostly on fire. I need you. No, it's an urban myth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I love the, uh, you know, oh, no, like, that's an urban, how do you have an urban myth about butterfly guys going in a turbine? And then, of course, like, right. you, yeah, and then, of course, you see, like, uh, you know, <laughs> Brock Sampson execute that urban myth uh, a little bit later on. <laughs> but, yeah, no, uh, just, it's classic twenty one twenty four stuff. It's the reason you're sad when 21 or uh, 24 goes like, you know, just those little dumb moments. Uh, we also get, uh, as Iggy is upstairs having a cigarette, what pack of cigarettes does he pull out? He pulls out the pack of cigarettes that appeared when Bowie disappeared, when Iggy popped him. And as he's pulling out the cigarette, we notice that one of the cigarettes has Iggy pop, or I'm sorry, David Bowie's face. And then he kind of like 
like pulls out, gets uh, gets Iggy Pop, beats him, and says, uh, "Make way for the Homo Superior," which is a reference to uh, "Oh, you pretty things," right? Yeah. Uh, we also uh, from there get Iggy Pop being punched out, and then we get this next segment here, which is one of my favorite Brock moments of all time, right up there with. Uh, when he kills the uh, the guild guy, and he's like, "Sing a song for me, sing Technotronic." <laughs> uh, we've got one of the henchmen who is clearly not going to make it. He gave a good fight, uh, and he's clearly from Boston because he's like, "It's wicked bad, sir. I didn't mean to let you down. The last five minutes under your command have been the proudest of my career." And then he dies, and Brock Sampson showing the dignity and respect this young man who fought and died for him deserves, throws his body into the intake on one of the guild wasps, destroying it. Uh, <laughs> we've also got Hank trying to fight. <laughs> that goes about as well as could be expected. He tries to shoot, misses, hits a rock, it ricochets off, ends up taking it down. It was like, uh, like from Return of the King when Legolas takes down the giant Oliphant, right? Just this whole series of things that happens and actually ends up taking down this massive like enemy that he should not have been able to take down. And we get a great Star Wars line here where Brock says, great shot, kid. That was one in a million. Uh, <laughs> we also get the chance to revisit Dean. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I missed a spot here. Um, Brock, Hank, 24 and 21 uh, have reached... Oh, oh. I'm skipping ahead a little bit as well. Uh, Dean is in the engine room, except he's not. Dean's having his mental breakdown, and he finds the child labor camp of orphans run by the insect gang. Uh, one of the coolest versions of the monarch that we get, in my mind, behind anime monarch from the opening of Trial of the Monarch. Well, uh, I love the, uh, the premise as a vehicle for the monarch to say the most disturbing shit ever. <laughs> he's like yes this is the engine that turns and feeds my black heart yes children turn me on <laughs> <laughs> turn tiny engine uh and then dean oh god that's just fuel for the QAnon people dean rushes in and yells yo joe and battles the insect king of course dean has the ring of power to which the insect king responds no now <laughs> We get this great interaction where the insect king is like, no, the ring of power, it's the only thing that can, that can kill my black heart. And Dean starts stabbing at him with his sword and is cutting off like his arm. And the insect king's like, no, you missed my black heart. And then he slices off a leg. He's like, ah, my reproductive organs. You still didn't hit my black heart. And then Dean has his great moment. I know. I'll stab his evil black heart. You think? <laughs> so Dean manages to stab his evil black heart after lopping off his reproductive organs, well, killing the insect king, and now decides that he's going to destroy the evil machinery and set the orphans free. And he is clearly working out some internal issues as he wrecks the engine and the orphans run off. 
because uh, he's yelling things like, go, be free, don't live in a room with a learning bed where you have to learn about the Grand Cooley Dam, you know, all these little, all these little things that he's Hyper-specific like, stuff like, yeah, go, be free so your dad won't make you sword fight a Venus flytrap. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, uh, Monarch here very much looks like Zorak. <laughs> from, from space goes that's probably my, my favorite thing <laughs> why are you torturing me like this because you're evil <laughs> <laughs> you've been sitting on that money zorak this whole time dude we have a very special relationship to space ghost and musical barbecue in my house like uh in fact when i was wooing uh dr mrs professor savage i uh I included I Love You Baby on the end of the first mix I put together for. Like, the, it was a two-disc set, uh, much like uh, one of Danny's albums, except full of songs that she knew. And, uh, <laughs> well, and some fair, she didn't. Danny's two-part album was also a one-part song. Like. Dude, he was releasing, like, I, got, I have to give that man credit. He was releasing a double album every week. Like, uh, do you know anyone who has been that productive musically? And, and not only that, so he was giving away copies of his album. I actually caught one of his songs that was incorporated into a Mano song that came out in like 2006, to, or sorry, 2007, 2008. Like his songs got jacked by like hip hop producers for hits and he never got any credit for it. Like, and it's, it's mind boggling to me. Like, and dude, as soon as I play that song for you, you are going to know exactly which song from Danny's it got ripped from. Like, that's how specific Danny's sounds were. Uh, I mean, you say that, but like, in my head, it sounds like Squidward playing a clarinet like, <laughs> when I try to remember it. Not to say it's that bad a quality, but it's one of those like, uh, I tried to look back on because I, I remember like having that talk and we got some pretty intense like creative discussions and I was like, Listen, Danny, just because you make, like, a song doesn't mean every song needs to be on the album. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he had some really avant, like, it was so avant-garde. It was. <laughs> Dude, the look on your face when you're pitching the avant-garde. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could share this with listeners. This is amazing. <laughs> no, like, I get it. This is the kind of stuff that, like, you know, Brian Eno would fall asleep to. Uh, you know, <laughs> in his, uh, you know, sensory deprivation chamber or what have you. It is, it is taking music to places it hadn't been before, which is not something you can say about most music. It's taking music to that elevator where, uh, Pirate Captain and, and the Monarch and 21 <laughs> are all trapped and he's all like, welcome to hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's an M. Night Shyamalan film. So from there, Dean is destroying the Insect King's uh, like evil orphan generator. And from there, we bounce to one of the henchmen telling the monarch, we just lost power. How does he say it? <laughs> it's like, uh, here's something. <laughs> and I love just the casualness, like... <laughs> You know, like I found it on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's something. We just lost power. Where did it go? 
Go down to the engine room and find out. No way, it's spooky. <laughs> okay. Okay, no. well, okay, but like to be fair, and I think everybody can kind of uh, this is I, I think a pretty common thing, right? Um, there are spooky places at where you work. So before mm -hmm. I I worked uh, at, at current, you know, doing the preschool cleanup at the church and all that, right? Um, I was working at Amazon. And they had, uh, this was a brand new facility, so not everything was full. And they had bathrooms placed all, like, not everywhere, but trying to be convenient. And we had one called Murder Bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, the rat. It was were... originally called Butter Bathroom. <laughs> no, I mean, it was, like, you know, uh, off the, the one side, uh, you know, down on a part of the building a lot of people aren't at because there's not a lot of inventory. It even had, like, the one flickering bulb. And now I've upgraded that. Uh, cleaning a, a church and a preschool at night is like the like uh, perfect storm of creepiness. There's even a hallway in one of the buildings that have one-way mirrors on all the doors. So when you're in the room, you can look out. You know, it's a safety thing. I, you know, makes sense. But when it's the middle of the night, it looks like a goddamn Stanley Kubrick hallway. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why is this Hicks hexagon everywhere? Right. It's like, I, straight up, like there are sometimes, like I'll be, you know, working as like, I did the trash down there yesterday. Fuck that. I don't need to go down. There. <laughs> like, right. I'm, I'm 35 years old. I'm like. Nah, you know what? I'm just going to listen to Rainbow Connection, have a good cry in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Calamitous Jane, uh, have you ever had oh, to yeah. live or work in one of these, uh, like, it, it had a place that was just spooky? Yeah, we had the murder hall. So the murder bathroom, the murder hall. Yeah, um, to where I'm working at right now is our second location. We had switched from a different place to where at the start of COVID, nobody was in the office. There was one door open with one light and that was my boss. And the rest of it was completely pitch black. And there was just two lights in front of his office that would flicker on and off. And to walk to go to the break room, you'd have to walk through this pitch black hall of like empty, empty offices with like, like loose papers on the floor from like people who cleaned out their desks right before COVID started and just like got out before everything like, happened. I just barely managed to escape. They, it, le it legitimately looked like a horror movie level. Yeah. From a video <laughs> game. It sounds like that moment when you're, you're like, you know, somebody's wandering through an office building looking for like, you know, uh, something or or like a place to hide during a zombie apocalypse. That's what like I felt like. Like the power's still on, the generators are still working, so you get the creepy fluorescent lighting. Like yeah. it's like 27 days later. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then I'd walk by my boss's office and he'd have the light on and I wouldn't see him in his office and he would just like say good morning and all of a sudden that was the only noise in the entire building. And like the light comes on all of a sudden and- uh, The light was flickering and we like- we like jumped back and we were just like really confused because we couldn't see him from where he was standing in his office, but he saw us. 
Well, that's even creepier. My question is, why is he wearing a clown mask? <laughs> why is he holding a bloody knife? <laughs> is your boss Scare Bear? Oh, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I do. I like Scare Bear. Like, I, I, I am waiting for the big reveal that, like, Scare Bear is actually Dr. Z or something. <laughs> like, he just didn't want to give it away. He's, no, no, like, no, just don't... crazy strong. Don't give it away. We're going to do a whole episode on just theories of Scare Bear. I do. Scare Bear deserves his own episode. Like we need that to man, give him an episode. He's the Boba Fett of the Ventureverse. Like, it is his enigma that is most appealing. Like, he barely appears, but when he does, it's memorable. Oh, son it's of a godlike. Boy. He's a mystery box. Yeah. God damn you, J.J. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> so... The Monarch and Dr. Venture. <laughs> Monarch's like, you want to check out my escape cocoon? Because the power's going out. The people aren't going to go down there. It's time to abandon cocoon. So he's like, hey, baby, you want to go check out my escape cocoon? <laughs> right? Uh, they make their way out there. Um, there's another henchman who wants to go along with them. But they're like, no, it's a two-seater. And they, what, the Monarch, like, tranks him, <laughs> shuts him out. Well, and it's clearly the honeymoon uh, escape pod suite. Yeah. <laughs> That's planning right there. It really is. And they're, they're planning on some, uh, some Hobbit times, man. It really speaks to Monarch's character that he would actually take Venture with him on his escape cocoon. Well, yeah. And we, we've talked about this before. Like, the Monarch doesn't make sense without Rusty Venture. True. He can't let Phantom Limb take away his arch. Well, not just that, but it, I also kind of feel like Doc, like the monarch's hate of Doc is the only thing that rationalizes Doc's existence. <laughs> so uh, you've seen Batman, the animated series, right? Oh, yeah. One of my yeah. favorite episodes is when this guy accidentally kills the bat. And he's just this <laughs> kind of like Joe Schmo, like, you know, pencil neck, you know, office worker. Uh, it's actually a little bit kind of referential to how they picked up, you know, uh, Joker in terms of like the Red Hood thing. But then Joker gets wind of it and he's like, oh, you're the guy who killed Batman. You're the guy who took away my other half. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, that, that whole thing that that one episode of the animated series, like, allowed me to understand the idea of yin and yang. Hmm. <laughs> My uh, my oldest, Ha, Ha One, showed Ha Two, Mask of the Phantasm. And I was like, really? That's really cool. Like, I was so proud of him. And then I turned to Ha Two and was like, how'd you like it? And Ha One was like, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> no, I actually watched that earlier today. <laughs> oh, uh, while we're going on, uh, this is a proud papa moments. Um, <laughs> my uh, youngest has started doing the same thing my oldest clone has picked up. So my oldest clone naturally gravitated to Star Wars. And now my youngest clone goes around, bum, ba da da dum, ba da da dum. <laughs> and like, bum, 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 Like whatever, depending on what his mood is. Like if he's like on a mission, he's Vader death marching it. If he's just kind of bopping around the house, he's just, you know, trumpet Star Wars fanfare. <laughs> I have a Darth Vader the Clapper 
from, uh, from Uncle Kyle. And if you clap once, right, to turn it on, it says the force is strong with this one. If you clap again, it shuts off the light and says the dark side, uh, the, uh, don't underestimate the power of the dark side. Now, my youngest Ha, Ha 3, has grown up with this and was horrified by it at first. Now he loves Darth Vader. And you can prompt him, you know, like, what does a cow say? Moo. What does what is Chewbacca say? What does Han Solo say? Chewie, is that you? What does Darth Vader say? Don't underestimate the power of the dark side, which is adorable coming out of like a tiny Aww. human who's this big. <laughs> and because he's working on his mean face too, and he's learning to do the mean face when he says dark side. <laughs> That's adorable. Uh, one of the things I'm trying the hardest to capture uh, lately, uh, one of the things uh, my oldest one started picking up is uh, a villainous laugh. Like, he's got his normal laugh, but then he has, like, his evil, like, <laughs> laugh. That's solid. Yeah. Did, did you know that Dr. Mrs. Professor Brock Savage taught uh, Rika Brown's oldest to do an evil mwahaha so that it would tick off Rika Brown's mom. <laughs> That's great. So she'd go, because she'd be like, you know, Sonny was three and go, mwahaha. <laughs> uh, she started doing it in front of her grandma. And her grandma was like, your daughter's been possessed by Satan. <laughs> so just for a little context, uh, one time I got sunburned and this lady asked me what my relationship was to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have like what? the Virgin Mary and sunburn on your back? No, no. Like it was just like I had blisters from how sunburned I was. I was doing tree removal at the time. And uh, like, you know, I was explaining to her and she was like, oh, and I even said like, you know, I didn't, I didn't put on sunblock. Like I was an idiot. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure I have like bands of skin cancer on my shoulder from this now. And uh, her literal, like, the question was, well, how well do you know Jesus? I'm like, well, not well enough for UV protection. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> 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 Like, of all the things to pray for. Uh... Uh, speaking of hallucinations, Dean is still hallucinating and has rescued the princess and all is now well in the kingdom of insectia uh dean as a reward you know uh princess sparkle pants has uh it's like oh what reward do you want and dean suggests making out and gets to so go dean uh at which point the luck dragon falcor appears and tells dean that he loves him and uh oh i'm sorry i skipped a spot uh we missed the part where uh We've got 21, 24, Brock and Hank on top of the Hamilton starship. And they get, they're trying to get in. Uh, they can't find the bolt cutters, uh, which of course 21 was supposed to carry. But 21, uh, what, what is it he says? It had to drop ballast, which included his pants, perhaps, his shoes, uh, yeah, his like utility he's belt, the like bolt cutters. Eating his pants. And then Brock's just stabbing, <laughs> stabbing at the, at the Hamilton starship yeah. with his knife. <laughs> Trying to get in, and the X2 kind of swoops in and like strafes them. Um, now, uh, Iggy Pop has come in, and this is where we get a great fight between Iggy Pop and uh, Phantom Limb. And Iggy Pop comes in, 
and Klaus Nomi is there and like Iggy transforms into Bowie, right? Because Bowie was pretending to be Iggy Pop using his magic shape-shifting powers. And uh, Klaus Nomi realizes going on, starts doing the scream. Bowie puts his hands over his mouth, makes Klaus Nomi's head explode. And then he and Phantom Limb have their big showdown. And I couldn't help but think that this was like watching Dracula fight Yoda. <laughs> That's fun to think about. Which Dracula is fighting Yoda? Because in my mind, it's like Christopher Lee Dracula. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, while this is going on, right, they're having their big fight, the Sovereign versus the man who would be Sovereign. And uh, the X2 comes in, strafes them. Um, we've got the escape cocoon, or would you prefer an escape butterfly? We've got a call back to that earlier joke. Um, and we get Dean and the princess uh, making out. Did you notice that the fruit stripe gum unicorn was in here? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> I had to include this in my notes because it was the first time I'd seen the fruit stripe gum unicorn in like 25 years. Is it technically a zebra corn because it has stripes? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know that uh, given its proclivities that, you know, what pronouns it would choose to use or what, uh, what its preferred identity would be. It is uh, like, it is like the United Zebra of Benetton. Dude, uh, cryptozoology matters, man. Like, <laughs> you know, the, like the forest, the, the fruit stripe forest where, you know, the, uh, the Isn't that where elf traveled to get to New York? <laughs> oh, if it had wings, would it be a zebra cornices? <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, I, I no, I shouldn't do it. You're, I'm going to let you get me derailed again. Not going to do it. Not going to no, do no, it. Go ahead. Lean you in. sure? No, 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 no. I, I'm going to. I'm going to look because it, it, it's etymology, and you know that if I get started, we're going to be here for a while. We've been yeah. here for a while. <laughs> As you know. As you know. <laughs> okay, so what we'll do is we'll get him started. And then after he gets done doing his great courses lecture, <laughs> we're going to take it and, like, we'll wake up, cut the audio, sell it. Like, you know, we've already immediately, like, this has gone up in value from free, like, <laughs> easily five ninety nine. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts is uh, a podcast called The History of the English Language. And it's actually run by a lawyer named Kevin Stroud from here in Raleigh. And one of my like goals uh, in the near term, once COVID is done, because I've been listening to this guy for years. I've been meaning to reach out for years and just didn't really like, I just, I want to just sit down and have like buy him lunch and just listen to his process because I adore the way he explores the language. He just does it so well. So shout out to Kevin Stroud. And while we are shouting out, guess who else is screaming in potential terror? The Order of the Triad as the X1 <laughs> slams into the cocoon. Uh, uh, could you scream in Neon Nub for me? I can't, it, I, I don't speak bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> or Mongolian or wh whatever it is. And of course, uh, the plane crashes. And what is it that uh, the alchemist says? He's like, uh, that little guy we made all over the windshield. And Dean's like, a dog dragon? Falcor, right? 
Uh, and then we've got Dean riding on the X1's nose. And the alchemist says, hey, is that the scrawny venture kid? And he's crazier than usual. <laughs> crazier than usual. My favorite thing about this image is it's very uh, slim pickings on the missile. Like, you know, he's, he's really like giving that thing a rodeo. But like the cartoonish zigzag that like the, the little needle on the, the nose of the X2. Yeah, right. It's the X1. It's <laughs> the X1, yeah. yeah. So they just smash into this thing, and like, yeah, it's just got that cartoony like zigzag look. Mm -hmm. Like this is this is impact damage. Like what used to count as a really cool car antenna back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> so the alchemist reminds the triad not to step in what's left of uh, Nia Nub, uh, and Doctor Orpheus decides he's going to try and rescue Dean from his uh, delusions. Um, the escape cocoon featuring the monarch and Rusty Venture crashes into the Hamilton starship and ends the battle between Phantom Limb and the Sovereign. Wreckage falls everywhere and henchmen are scattered around, several which are floating in a river, which thanks to their wings, which are also flotation devices, have kept many of them from drowning. This is spectacular costume design, and I will only accept that Enzo himself made these costumes. Perhaps. He prototyped like, it. Are Sicilians well known for their quality tailoring? Yes. We are. Uh, like as well known as for their pizza? <laughs> In my mind, this is like one of those, uh, there's a Chris Farley-like uh, analog going around. <laughs> you just want to be a henchman floating down by the river? <laughs> you want to be a henchman in a busta cocoon floating down the river? You know, I used to want to be the world's most influential motivational speaker. Now I live in a van down by the river surrounded by henchmen who are floating in that river. <laughs> van down by the river. Man, uh, you remember Susan. Susan actually had a really good uh, Kevin, uh, like, I forget the, the Kevin, I was about to, that, that's not even it at all. Susan's got a really good uh, um, Chris Farley impression. I forget the name of the, the motivational speaker, but he nails that bit. Yeah, uh, Susan, wow, I, I did not expect Matt, to, be, to be talking about Is it Matt that. Foley? Matt Foley, yeah! yeah. Climate is Jane for the win. Good job. He named it after a pasture from his church, I think. <laughs> I was reading David Spade's autobiography and he like like name dropped that. So I could be wrong. I would read that autobiography. I have both of his books. He wrote two? Yeah, Almost Interesting and, oh, what's the other one called? Even more slightly almost interesting. I can't think of it off the top of my head. That's interesting. <laughs> almost. Almost. Joe Dirt. We knew you well. <laughs> right. That is the second time Joe Dirt has made an appearance on this podcast. Is there something you like to talk about, Beast? Because uh, apparently it is Joe Dirt. It, it, uh, it's actually pronounced Dirte. <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet mullet. <laughs> I mean, like, that's the thing. You you think they don't, like, there's no compatibility there. 
Uh, Mark oh. Sampson and Joe Dirt having a conversation about sweet mullets and playing with fireworks mm. in the desert would be an amazing short film. Uh, <laughs> that would be amazing. Directed by <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus from the Dolly Parton music video Romeo. <laughs> yes. Um, David Spade's two books are called Almost Interesting and A Polaroid Guy in a Snapchat World. I've read both. And that then... is a deeper title than I initially anticipated this, the title of the second book to be. Yeah. Uh, I got both, and they're both really good. Huh. I'll have to check uh, that out. The last autobiography that I got was... No, actually, it wasn't even autobiography. It was uh, uh, Uncle Kyle gifted me a fantastic book about uh, James Brown. I only own autobiographies, so... What is your favorite? I, I know what mine is. I was lucky enough to kind of early. Um, that's a really tough one because I'm in the middle of not Taco Bell material by Adam Carolla. That one's really good. Uh, I have the audio book version of David Spade's Almost Interesting and it's like it's really interesting because he reads it himself and so it's a little more personal. And his relationship with his father kind of mirrors my own. So that's like a deep connection for me. But then there's like Kevin Smith. Uh, was it tough shit? It was great. Really? Yeah. How about you, Beast? Uh, favorite autobiography. That's, I don't know, that's complicated. Because um, I, I guess I'm technically more of a memoir guy. Uh, like, I guess in that vein, um, Salmon of Doubt is is vaguely, <laughs> vaguely biographical that way, uh, and also Stranger Than Fiction by uh, Chuck Palahniuk. Um, those those are not autobiographical. Stranger Than Fiction is a collection of true short stories. Well, and you get because of again, you know, uh, the nature of the true true short stories and where he kind of put that together in life. You get a little like you get a lot of glimpses into uh, his dad's life and then his life because his dad survived an axe murdering when he was a kid only to later be like gunned down in his driveway by his new wife's ex-husband who just got out of prison mm. wow. so i mean yeah like you know uh chuck's Polinick, you know chuck Polinick's family has like some severe like trauma and stuff and uh i mean i get it it's not like you know a recounting uh if i'm being honest with you like if we're going just straight hardcore, uh, you don't get better than musical biographies. And uh, Black, uh, Black well, Klansman. Black Klansman. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, uh, I'm No Angel, the Greg Allman autobiography. Well, that's a good one. My all time favorite is the autobiography of Malcolm X. Uh, you know, man, I feel like, like I, that's almost like an asterisk for me. That's like you picking the greatest biography of all time. Yeah, the, the short. Like, that's easy. Um, and, of course, being from Wilmington, where, you know, Alex Haley has, you know, mm -hmm. uh, where Alex Haley has some roots. So, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, that, that was very, definitely, like, big for me in the area. Uh, so I, I didn't even consider that one because, again, that's like, you know, the Playboy list of party schools, like ECU. <laughs> you know, like, you know, greatest biographies. All That's like, you know, uh, was it Frederick Douglass's autobiography? <laughs> uh, 
Were we talking about the Venture Brothers? We were. Oh, but wait, there's we, more. We can rope this actually back in. Um, so we got some Twitter love the other day. I, I put out a, a little post on Twitter, basically presupposing who would be like the best writer for um, like a Venture Brothers comic book. And in my mind, that came, it could only be Matt Fraction. Mark Russell, actually. Um, just because of the stuff he did with the, the Hanna-Barbera DC series. Okay. Um, and then even picking up his work on like Swamp Thing. And so he actually uh, responded to us and come to find out he's got a couple of audio books narrated by James Urbaniak himself. Oh. Um, and I want to say... Is one of them the Bible? They're both about the Bible. <laughs> Special oh special introduction by Mr. James Earl Jones. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm actually trying to look up the titles now. Um, I think uh, one of them was Apocrypha Now. <laughs> that's a great title. Right. Oh, that's so good. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like uh, I did a very poor job trying to loop it back in, but it's tangential. We're there. <laughs> I mean, you could have just gone with Colonel Gentleman's Memoirs. Ah, man, that's one of those, like, that's a dream book for me to write, like, writing the Colonel Gentleman's memoirs and writing the actual, like, you know. Diary entries. Well, and, yeah, doing the diary entries, the but list. also actually doing the, uh, the Guild Handbook. <laughs> God, like, I would, I would love to write, like, the Guild Handbook. Well, the Guild is going to need a lot of hands because so many of their membership is now lying dead and scattered across the uh, Cremation Creek Canyon floor. We've got the henchman floating in the water and the monarch wakes up and thinks he sees Dr. Mrs. the monarch and runs over to her and it is in fact not, it is David Bowie. And then he sees real Sheila off in the distance, runs to her, realizes that she's trapped underneath something. Uh, they think it's what they think it's Phantom Limb's leg. Uh, she's fine. The rest of Phantom Limb is nowhere to be found. Uh, apparently, he has managed to escape, although he is like potentially mortally wounded. Uh, the monarch decides that he has now got a new arch enemy, but Bowie tells him not to fret because whatever's left of Phantom Limb will have nowhere on earth to hide once he sicks his diamond dogs on him. Another song reference. Bowie then says goodbye, wishes them well, tells them congratulations, and then transforms into an eagle and flies away. Uh, Dr. Venture uh, has also survived the crash, and, uh, but he's done it in the most annoying way possible by whining about swallowing a gold filling. Please don't make a Holocaust joke, Beast. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> what was it like? Hookums, and then it's Bowie, uh, you know, turns an eagle. And then 21 to 24 are like, so, you know, what did I miss? The guy from Labyrinth turned into a bird. Oh, Changes One, I love that album. You poser, it's a best of, right? Uh, and then, of course, uh, Orpheus arrives with Dean, who is passed out. And uh, it's like, ah, oh, he is safe in the magic hands of the Order of the Triad. And then trips and falls, dropping Dean, at <laughs> which point, did anyone, the alchemist grabs what he tripped over and he says, did anyone lose invisible? Oh, I'm keeping this. Uh, 
What did we think it was that he tripped over? I'm Judging gonna... by the size of what he's holding, like, because you could see how far apart his hands are. I'm going to have to go arm with a fist attached. <laughs> you know what? Uh, that's actually a, a lot better than the, the, the penis. Like, I'll be honest with you. Like, There's no it, way Phantom Limb's penis is that big. So yeah, it has to be Not like a, a, a Jersey Mike sub. <laughs> now uh, how does he slide it into his uh his his sleeve right like is that are his sleeves bag space uh i mean cartoon magic okay i'll i'll, I'll put on that i'll, I'll get on that uh, uh, pockets. the same <laughs> the same place rusty gets the diet pills from so the ends of wd-40 <laughs> The Ventures and the Order of the Triad are then going to head home in the X-1, and Dean is hanging out on top of the airplane. Uh, Jefferson Twilight asks if uh, our eponymous Venture will be up there. Uh, we'll be all right up there since there's almost no oxygen. Because he's it's eponymous. Really <laughs> and <sighs> Brock says that Dean does that a lot, and he'll pass out in a few minutes. So this ties back into what you were talking about earlier, Beast. And inside the escape cocoon, uh, the monarch and Dr. And Mrs. the monarch are celebrating their nuptials, uh, conjugating their marriage. Uh, I'm sorry, not conjugating, consummating their marriage. Conjugating, conjugating their vowels. <laughs> <laughs> conjugating their vowels, consummating their marriage. Um, and Dr. Girlfriend, Dr. And Mrs. the monarch says that she's got something to, that uh, might change things that she needs to tell the monarch. You know, she's kind of psyching herself up. This is actually where we find out that her name is Sheila. This is the moment. She takes a deep breath and says, Monarch, I'm, and then it pans to outside, where all we hear is the monarch's reaction to what she just said. And all you hear is him saying, what? What was it that she said? This is actually one of the great mysteries of the show for me. So what was it that she said? Watching it the first time, I thought she was gonna say she was pregnant. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, Monarch, I'm selling herbal life now. Uh, and <laughs> the worst heard, kind of evil. Have you heard the good news <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> about Amway? That is such an arching. I assumed that she was going to tell him that she was actually already married. Because what that, like... It had to be something, because your initial thought is, okay, she's, gonna, she's pregnant, right? Maybe she's going to be pregnant with uh, Phantom Limb's baby or whatever. But they don't explore it. So whatever it is that she told him had to be resolved by the beginning of the next season without her doing something that wouldn't make sense in the interim. So it had to be something that could be resolvable without needing another episode to go through it. And that's one thing that made sense to me. But I mean, I, I imagine there are 100,000 things that she could have said. I, and in fact, I'm willing to bet that some of our listeners uh, would be able to offer some really good ideas about what it is that she said. So if you've made it this far through our podcast, we would love for you to tell us what you think she said, or if you know the actual truth, keep it to yourself so we can explore it next episode. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, I think I've actually did. I've worked it out. All right. Um, because again, they they've had a, a bit of a rocky relationship. Uh, maybe there's certain boundaries they haven't crossed. Like, monarch, I'm about to fart. Okay. So maybe it's like a uh, maybe it's like okay. Wait, uh, boundaries they haven't crossed. This is a man who wears like tiger print speedos. How long but did it take you to poop in front of uh, Dr. Mrs. The Brock Savage? Not long at all. Uh, I am not. Uh, that is, it, it was weirder for her at first, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, because I, I don't have boundaries like that. Like once I decided that she was the one I was going to be with for the rest of my life, which I mean, <laughs> you, you were, you were there when it happened. How long did it take? Like seven days? That's a long poop. Like, <laughs> right. uh, I just like, you know, th there were just no boundaries anymore. Like I'm, I'm with you for the rest of my life. Like it's not a preserve the mystery kind of thing. You There's know, no mystery about what happens to food. Well, no, right? I get that. But like the fact you demand eye contact while you do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just one finger. Use small circles and don't you look at me. One finger circular motion and don't you look at me. Uh, yeah, no, man, it's just like, okay, I got to take a shower. You're in the bathroom. I'm going to go shower, right? The fact that you're using the bathroom, uh, unless you tell me to stop, isn't going to stop me. Okay. Uh, equal question. How long did it take her to get comfortable with pooping in front of you? Uh, I don't know that it's happened yet. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's how you start. But that's only because I'm yelling at her the entire time. <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> here's how you start arching Dr. Mrs. the Savage. <laughs> Just casually start going into the bathroom as she's pooping. And so ask her casually, it's like, I'm here to arch you guys, not anybody's wives. So I don't have to arch her. I have three haws that do it for me. And she has three haws that arch me for her too. Uh, uh, no, you, you need we to- We actually do don't play. Uh, so we, we play a little bit of responsibility tennis sometimes. And that's where uh, like one kid wants to do something and they'd be like, go ask your dad right and they'll come and ask me and it's like well i don't want to tell you to do something your mom might be upset with so go ask your mom <laughs> just, just knock it back um because here's the thing while i'm not afraid like there's a lot of stuff that i think are okay that she's not comfortable with right like i'm fine with my kids riding their bikes around the neighborhood she's less comfortable with this she wants them to be older before they start exploring things on their own um you know i'm more comfortable with things a little bit earlier um you know she is less so so I, my default is what does your mom want because you know i don't want to tell them something's okay if she's not actually okay with it so it's just better to ask i want to make sure that we are taking her feelings into account and whatever she decides, I'm good with. Well, you've met my wife. Is, no. there, is there any point where her reasoning 
is not secure? Um, not not you know, for the most part. I would say like 98% uh, of the time. There is that 2%. It's, dude, it's higher than that. It's like 99.785. Uh, she doesn't eat like hamburgers. No, nah, man, but her reasoning for that's really straightforward. No. <laughs> because, okay, you look at a steak. Mmm, yummy, delicious steak, right? Now you put that steak in an actual meat grinder. And I've seen one. All it does is basically homogenize the meat and the fat. And that's the whole point. So maybe I get, like, you know, the, the, the appeal of being able to immediately, like, separate out the fat. But, like, and, and this is still something that me and Dr. Mrs. Savage actually, we will go around and around on on the few times we do see each other. Like, I'm just baffled. I'm like, you love a steak. Yeah, steak's fucking amazing. If I put that same steak in a meat grinder, she's like, no, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> she does not like ground beef. She doesn't like it. Not even slightly, which means I don't get to eat it either. Oh, <laughs> you poor thing. Oh, man, I honestly, at this point, uh, I don't even miss it because she does, like, because she's way cool with ground turkey or ground other meats. Ooh, oh, no, ground beef. Like, I can't. Mm. Like, I can't and you've had her shepherd's pie. Tell me that is not a revelation. The shepherd's pie is different. I can't do, like, a patty of, of ground turkey as a burger substitute. <laughs> like no we've been through how the name happened i've been changed right. i will say though uh the impossible whopper is actually pretty solid i think i tried it but it was so good at being impossible that i couldn't tell <laughs> well no it's not the incredulous whopper <laughs> inconceivable <laughs> So, right. so speaking uh, of incredulity. Yeah, I was going to say, we have done an awful job of wrapping up this episode. I know. Speaking yeah. of incredulity, well, to be fair, I am sitting, I didn't, so I have spent, I spent 10 and a half hours on a Zoom call earlier today. We started at 9.30 a.m. We wrapped oh, wow. up at 7. I've been uh, awake since 4 a.m. With a brief break. Uh, did I tell you that the air conditioning upstairs went out? So the office that I'm currently sitting in uh, was until very recently 128 degrees as measured by the man who came to fix it. You know, uh, I, I would be more worried except for you spent six months in India. So, like, <laughs> that's just a flashback for you, man. You're like, Dude, yeah. It, it wasn't like, you know, it was 110, 115, not 128. And the heat out there was different. Like, I was in Rajasthan. It was way different. I could ride my bike around all day in 115 degree heat and I was just fine as long as I was drinking water. Uh, it's different in North Carolina. Like the relative experience of heat here is soul sucking. Oh yeah, no, it's like heat is like the leftover oppression from slavery in the South. <laughs> like it is oppressive. It is. <laughs> Oppressively humid. It is. We are cutting humid. that line out. <laughs> Thank God for the dry heat of California. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, I love, like, I, the one time I was, like, out far, like, you know, in Denver, like, dry heat was amazing. I loved it. You're not, like, sweaty. You're not, like, stinky about it or anything. Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> Is Denver it's hot? Not particularly. Denver's high. Denver's not hot. Is uh, it? 
I was okay. It can get hot. It's just not known for being hot. I went I went like, there in May and it snowed when I was there, but then like the next day the high was like eighty. <laughs> That's high? Okay. No, maybe for Denver. Like, when you're going from literally like, you know, thirty one to eighty in a span of twenty four hours. Like, I mean, and I get it. Like, we have a, a joke here in North Carolina, like, oh, what's the weather? Oh, wait five minutes. Uh, yeah, they, they have the same joke in Indiana where I have relate. seen it go from, like, freezing to, like, ridiculously hot. No, can't relate. California. No, I mean, well, it stays and, uh, consistent for days on end. Well, and apparently Denver has the, or, like, Colorado as a whole has the most, like, sunny days on average, you know, per state uh like and again being the high plains so colorado is the shunt is the actual sunshine state yeah well just like i mean was it uh florida is actually the was it florida does more oranges than than california or vice versa the navy's got more boats than the then i'm sorry the army's got more boats in the navy and the navy has more aircraft in the air force and you also drive on a parkway. But you and park, park in a driveway. driveway. <laughs> yeah. And it is with these mysteries in mind, unsolvable though they might be, that we bring today's episode to a close. And before we wrap up this episode, I wanted to take a brief moment to reflect on what we've learned about the monarch throughout our monarch block. And one of the things that we kind of chatted about in a previous conversation about this very same subject, uh, we ended up spending most of our time talking about Dr. Mrs. The Monarch. And before we kind of get into that, I just wanted to kind of ask you guys to summarize what it is about the monarch that makes him such a compelling character and why he is so much fun in the Venture Brothers. Well, uh, and, and in all fairness, uh, we did focus a lot early on this block about his like hatred of, of Rusty. And these are the twin pillars of the monarch is hatred of Rusty and love for, you know, Sheila. And I think that that's what makes him a, an interesting character because he is admittedly like a, a villain, but at the same time for as, as villainous as he is, he's, he's still a better person than his arch, you know? <laughs> he, he's a better protagonist than his protagonist. Is he? I mean, yeah, like... Man, uh, he's look, not trying to creep on somebody during their wedding, so... I don't... Yeah, but I also don't see Rusty Venture dropping a prostitute into a gauntlet. Because uh, he can't get one. Because, hey, yeah, he can't... He can't get prostitute. Like toxic shock syndrome gets more like gets more girls than that guy. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow! Wow! Like, I mean, wow. okay. He's also the monarch's also not turning dogs inside out for like you know cosmetic uh, purposes. To... <laughs> uh, clone Hitler. Yeah, like I mean, nobody's approaching monarch to clone Hitler. They're approaching Rusty. <laughs> so, I mean, don't get me wrong. For the, the, let's, there's on the show, there's a handful of quote-unquote genuinely good people. But for the most part, the whole point is everybody in the, the Ventureverse is a flawed 
if not failed person. Um, and, and that's what makes Monarch great is he, like, you know, I, we he about it before. He's, he is the American spirit cigarette hanging out of the mouth of a hipster. He's a trust fund kid that, you know, is persistent and, oh my God, am I, am I describing Trump? This is weird. Uh, <laughs> but he's, you know, persistently rebuilding himself. He's got a great relationship as flawed as it was, and he's willing to compromise on that relationship. Sure. Does he act all passive about it? And like, yeah, whatever, I'll just get you a crown. But then he gets the fucking crown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His the willingness story. to commit. It, mm-hmm. Yep. He does. And actually, that is one area that he has got Doc beat hands down. The monarch will go all in. Like once he's decided to do something, he's in until Dr. Girlfriend tells him differently. <laughs> he committed to trying to arch Rusty. He's committed to his girlfriend, now wife. And he is, he, in the future seasons, he's committed to take, to stopping other people from arching his arch. Mm-hmm. He's also, I mean, relatively committed to his minions. Um, you know, yeah. in terms of like, you know, like looking at it from a super science union perspective. Uh, until, you know, he has like, you know, severe budgetary problems and has to trim the fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, but I mean, he's, you know, super attached to 21. Like, uh, he's not, he's sure like darting some dudes in the faces and occasionally murdering one yeah, guy. Go on the murder crusade. <laughs> oh, dude. And then, you know, there's the, you know, the one guy, the one henchman that they totally pinned the 21's book on. But for the most part, he's not <laughs> killing bunglers. If he was killing bunglers, like the same way Dr. Z, you know, Oh, this man's a bungler. Like, yeah, if he was like following the the training video, twenty one and twenty four wouldn't even be characters. They'd be dead before we even met them. Scott yeah. Hall would be our guy. Yeah, and Scott he deserves Hall. nothing. Scott Hall. <laughs> that was. I'm gonna go like after I'm we're done here. I'm watching all that in Gargantua too to watch him die. <laughs> Oh we need uh, to do a Scott Hall block now. I feel like we need that. I don't know if there's enough to substantiate him. We're definitely covering him uh, coming up in our Leopard. There's exactly block. three episodes. <laughs> I mean that, that that's worth at least one re- like one review. Like it's worth an entire episode. Well, and see that's the thing is he's going to get peppered out on a few blocks, like because he's going to show up in our twenty one twenty four block. Uh, we're actually kicking off with Lepidopterist. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to show up in our Billy and White block uh, in, uh, you know, the one episode where they can't figure out who's the art, like, who's the secondary, who's the sidekick, <laughs> who's the primary. Like, <laughs> I love that uh, argument. <laughs> yeah, no, because that's, that's exactly their relationship, is they're both sidekicks to each other. Yeah, right. <laughs> Honestly, eat the pennies, Billy. <laughs> eat the pennies, <laughs> Come on, Billy, just eat the pennies. Just like eat the when pennies. your best friend is siding with your arch, just like get it over with, man. Spanakopita. And the thinner white upright citizens brigade. Oh, dude, yeah. Do you remember Ask Pennies the other day? Ask Pennies. <laughs> like, whatever the whole eat the pennies thing came up, that is the only thing I can think of. <laughs> and now he really has the upper hand. 
eat the pennies. Uh, Climate Jane, are you familiar with ass pennies? No. Now you are. Thank you. And take it away, Savage. <laughs> so, as we are drawing this episode to a close, um, the main lessons that we've learned about the monarch. Oh, we're not. No, no. I wanted you to tell her about ass pennies. Uh, you know, actually, let me go ahead and tell you this. Hop online, watch it. Because okay. any explanation I could give you will not make the same impression. You have to see the golf course. You have to see the way they're dressed. You have to understand the context in order for ass pennies to truly make sense. It is okay. very much like sold in the tone of voice. Like, like he says ass pennies like everybody should know what they are like you're not, you're not hip to ass pennies <laughs> right have, have you been to the snack bar <laughs> i did have one more thing to say about monarch and sheila as a couple all right the reason why their relationship works both as their marriage and as their partnership as villains is the fact they are two halves of a whole villain monarch has all the passion in the world he has all the natural hate within his little pinky that no one could possibly ever understand. But he has none of the knowledge. He doesn't know any of the rules. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Sheila, on the other hand, has the knowledge to track Captain Sunshine's unique uh, sunshine rays. She knows every rule in the handbook for the guild. Oh, dude, when she's doing the like uh, chemical re-engineering on like the, uh, was it, uh, the human beetle to, to reverse the Thelemons. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, she's clearly like the brains of the operation. Yeah, but she has like n no passion. She doesn't really care about arching, it feels like. Like she was just general studies. She just was the number two for Trucules, for uh, Hamilton, for Monarch. She has all the knowledge and know-how, but none of the drive. Put them together, perfect team. I mean, and, so. and you know, I gotta tell you, it, in terms of what makes for a great relationship, there are a ton of different styles, right? Um, what makes a great relationship for me is not necessarily something that's going to make for a great relationship for Beast or for Calamitous Jane, and. There are you've I, surely you've met some couples who really enjoy arguing or fighting. That is not what I enjoy. My wife and I do not argue. My uh, to date, our second biggest argument ever was over comma usage, and it is an argument that we still have to this day. That's adorable. Right? Well, if I have I have really strong feelings about <laughs> comma usage. All right, and she is a strict APA guidelines kind of woman. But I do not believe that that's correct or adequate because the comma is not inherently powerful in and of itself. Like the comma is a symbol that describes how people. All right, so go on. We get. I, I digress. All right. As you know, this As is what know. I look like when I talk about Twin Peaks. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm here to arch you guys. I feel like you haven't realized this yet. So, as the monarch block draws to a close what we've learned about the monarch is that the monarch is a far more complex character than he initially was presented as and in fact one of the great 
triumphs of this show is the way it took these single note characters and turned them into symphonies of human development. And we see how all these contradictions, all these different urges play out, bounce off of each other and develop. And it's because of the strength of the writers that these aren't just jokes in and of themselves. The, uh, and uh, I really don't feel like we talk with enough regularity about how hard it is to make a one note character a three dimensional being where we can make presumptions about what a character would do. I mean, do you feel like you could make any presumptions about what Padme Amidala would do? No. Uh, I mean, most of it's centralized on being so sad that she dies. Bone <laughs> some sad white boy. <laughs> like, you know, it, it, there is genuine pathos and genuine drive invested in these characters. And the monarch is in many ways the absolute pinnacle of what it is that Hammer and Public are doing. And that is taking these things that shouldn't be functioning on this level and making it work. And that is incredibly hard to do. You know, you say it, but I don't think it really is. Like, I mean, I, I think it's simple work, but it's hard conceptualization. So if you really like the idea being, right, like they say, you can speak intelligently uh, enough to get by in a conversation if you know at least five things on a topic. I think the same is kind of true of character development. If you can create five things, five facts about this this entity that flushes out their identity, then you have enough information to ex start extrapolating data through thought experiment, right? Like any good character, after a while, you don't make decisions for the character. The character makes decisions, you create situations. Yeah, but let, let's, let's take this back a little bit. Let's, let's work with Star Wars again. Look at how Anakin, look at the characterization of Anakin Skywalker. Here was a character that had everything going for him. The work had been pretty much done on him by fans with the little bit that they had. And when Lucas was giving us the prequel trilogy, do you feel like that characterization was modeled in the same depth that we get out of a character like the Monarch? Well, no, because I think he was uh, overthinking it. Like, what's the, the truth about... Uh, um, fuck, God damn you, J.J. Abrams. I mean, the truth about it is <laughs> you've said something before uh, that people inside of them have like a, a box that's, you know, infinite and vast. Yeah, the black box. Yeah. And I mean, that's the truth is like you, you need to develop that for a character in a sense. But like uh, Vader was more enticing as a character when we didn't know much about him. Yeah, we same knew, way with Boba Fett. Yeah, like, you know, as we're getting, like, you know, tiny little breadcrumbs of information that allow us to start connecting the dots, it's it's the reason, 
the story about Monarch's parents is one of the more fascinating venture stories. Like, I lost my shit when I heard him say, like, when I heard, you know, busted-ass Venturion say, the plane's going down. That's all the way from, like, the first episode. <laughs> it's like, where do I know a plane crash from? Monarch. Oh! And, you know, again, we <laughs> hadn't been given a whole lot of information, but it's, you know, uh, it, it's like data haiku. You know, what information are you dropping and how does it, you know, balance to the other information? Like, and what picture does all of that paint together? So it almost sounds like your suggestion is that the secret to good characterization is white space space yeah. for you to fill it in with your imagination. I'm going to counter that by suggesting we take a look at what we just spent four episodes reviewing, which are the different elements, facets, and information that we in already understand about the monarch. And a lot of it doesn't make sense on, uh, on the face of it, but still works with this character, like the three-day bath. <laughs> okay. The three day well, sideways shower. Well, and even again, like, <laughs> well, and if you think about what you know about the monarch, it makes sense. And it, it does. He's, you he's can rationalize kid. it in yeah, he, some way. Well, yeah, he, he's a trust fund kid. Like, and I get that the, the quote unquote three day shower is actually just a, a bad time lapse continuity. Yeah. Like, let's, let's call that what it is. But, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the the real trick to the character is they got all of their characters up and running um, to make their to inform their own decisions so early on. Mm -hmm. Like I think again, they started out with, well, what do we know about the monarch? Well, we know that like you know he's got a deep and abiding hatred of Rusty Venture that goes way back, uh, and we know that you know. He loves his partner, even though he's emotionally, like, disconnected because of what happened to him in childhood. So while he doesn't necessarily, you know, always present the attitude that he feels when it comes to his emotions, you know, clearly he still, like, values his, you know, his relationship with Sheila. And that's really, like, after those two things have been established, beyond that, all, everything else is just continuity filler that that you know presents you know a certain you know sense of logic like when they you know give him a little bit of lip service on oh yeah you know we've been stealing stuff from sergeant hatred well that immediately sets up down the line all you have to do is fucking pull that out of the drawer cash that check and have it be sergeant <laughs> hatred now there is it, i still think you're underselling this the same technique was applied with Sergeant Hatred, but less successfully. Sergeant well, Hatred. One of those pillars was a bad touch man. <laughs> like, it's not that the method wasn't bad. It was that it was construction shit. <laughs> well, and let's, again, are you arguing that Sergeant Hatred is as compelling a character as the Monarch? I don't buy that. As compelling? or as like complicated. Well, and again, you say complicated, like adding detail. It's not just the number of lines that you're adding to the sketch. 
No, it's like, what the lines mm -hmm. are and where there are that determines the shape that it takes. Well, you can add like cross hatching and shading all day, but if it's not a good structure, if it's if it doesn't fit, then it doesn't make the picture more beautiful. Well, it, it, I mean, it, when you say compelling, no, he's not as fun as the monarch. Like that's that's I mean, no, hatred is not a fun character. No, but is he a complicated character? But yeah. by the same token, like. You know, Killinger is incredibly dour. That's a fun character. Well, and again, uh, Killinger very much operates on the, the mystery box principle. Like, <laughs> you know, it's when we get the snippets, it's like, the fuck even is this guy? <laughs> 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 like, uh, he, he's some sort of villain Mary Poppins, and his brothers are like, a horde of vampires that go around investing in things like Je jedi vampire bankers <laughs> yeah it's a it's a whole thing now here's a question for you what is the monarch's antithesis on the show because the initial thought here was that it'd be rusty venture but i don't think it is who is the opposite of the monarch because i think the monarch and rusty venture have a lot more in common as we will continue to learn later on down the line. Who is the opposite of the monarch? Hatred. Yeah, I mean, hatred doesn't hate. There's no well, natural hate in him. And hatred started high level. He started out as a very well-rounded villain. He did his job. And he constantly lost his stuff to the monarch. Eventually, he loses. He loses that job, and then he loses his next job, and now he has almost next to no job. He's, he's constantly going downhill, while Monarch, throughout all of the seasons, is constantly going up. He has a couple setbacks, but he's still finding a way to make it go for him. Is Phantom Limb a better foil for the Monarch than Hatred? Hmm. I mean, okay, so again, we're talking about character development. I think it's kind of a, a time and place thing. At this moment, like where we're covering in the show, yeah, I mean, he's set up as the, the natural foil because they have that kind of, you know, love triangle. So you have two villains who are basically like, you know, trying to figure out who's the worst, who, who's the best bad guy. <laughs> like, you know, uh, but then like later on... Um, I mean, really, there's no, there's no clear, like, antithesis in the same way. Like, uh, Red Death definitely becomes, like, the antithesis, but not in, like, a competitive way. Red Death has got his hatred under control. Red Death has his family life balanced, right? And here, like, Monarch at that point is, you know, starting the, the plates are getting a little wobbly. Like, he actually, that's one of my favorite lines from, like, uh, that whole situation is, like, all right, so you want the good news or you want the bad news? And he's like, uh, bad news first? It's like, well, my marriage is in shambles and I'm jerking off to hentai porn because I can't connect with, you know, a real human being. <laughs> like, We've all been there, some, right? <laughs> yeah, that is some real vulnerability right there. And he's being like super vulnerable with his best friend. But that is the complete opposite of where Red Death ended up. You know, this guy is so successful He's, he's like the fucking, uh, you know, 
Tool or Rolling Stones or fucking James Brown of, of arching where like he only has to do it once a year. Because <laughs> <laughs> Elvis comes out of retirement, drops an album and a deuce and rolls out. Yeah. I mean, he's so uh, efficient at his job and amazing at the work-life balance. So again, I think it's kind of, where's, where's Monarch? You know, where's, where's Malcolm at in this season? Who's, who's going to be his natural counterbalance there? And instead of having a competitive relationship, because they start that, but then Red Death is just a goddamn terrifying treasure. Uh, you know, they can't, they can't move in on that. So it becomes Well, he like, is the perfect man. Right, because they start off being, you know, starting out that competitive relationship, because you know he's on the the list for uh, arching Rusty Venture, but then it turns into like this bizarrely sweet mentorship, where it's like, you know, all right, so tell me what's going on, <laughs> and I yeah. love that whole scene, and they they really level, and uh, <laughs> it's not just a one way street. Red Death is doling out this information and then, you know, Monarch has this pile of dead bodies. <laughs> Red Death is like, yes! <laughs> you know who my favorite foil for the Monarch is? Copycat. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. There is something about Copycat. Like, Cat is inherently a user. And that's not Monarch's personality. Like, Copycat is so slick. The Monarch is not slick. Hamilton isn't even as slick as Copycat. Like, there is something about Copycat that has always struck me as being the most inherently anti-Monarch-like foil that we've been presented with on the show so far. And I can't quite put my finger on why. Well, other he than it, he he doesn't arch in a traditional villain costume. No, he he arches. Uh, I mean, and let's be honest here. Let's call the superpower what it is. Like, sure, multiplying yourself is great, but it's really the boozy Dean Martin one-liners that get him <laughs> where he needs to go in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and in many ways, it like because the thing about Copycat, Copycat reminded me of what would happen if Jonas Venture wasn't a super scientist like he's got kind of that same vibe like too slick by half like he's the kind of guy who would like you know tell you sure i'll give you the lift down the road and what he really means is hey free organs (laughs) no no definitely like uh one of the the cooler parts about uh the whole setup between the two of them is is just very much uh, how set that monarch is that like no I've been arching Rusty Venture you you didn't bring me on as an expert and like this whole time of course he's playing the whole game mm-hmm. which in and of itself is like a heist trope mm-hmm. you know uh, there's a great little like baby driver shout out but yeah I mean this guy literally has it all together and whereas like monarch is uh, yeah, he, I mean, is, if it's not Rusty Venture, he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of the boys, Hank and Dean, which one is more like the Monarch? 
Hmm. Mm, well, okay. Hank has that like energy. Yeah, that jump off the roof dressed the as Batman energy. Yeah. Hank's For manic. Sure, manic. Uh but also like Monarch has those like trembling dean insecurities. I see, I I am more inclined to see Dean reveling and throwing up all over someone's crappy childhood (laughs) memories more than Hank. Because it's not like a physical fight. Monarch rarely physically fights. Like it happens, but it's not as often and it's less successful sometimes. I don't know, he did kick Rusty in the nuts and run away with like a hundred grand. True. Oh, you know, uh, if you actually but like his it, best arch is throwing up in Rusty's mind. The same <laughs> for way sure. That, well, the same way that Monarch is uh, attempting to to beat the shit out of Klaus Nomi is the same way that Dean beats the shit out of Dermot. Yep. They have the same fighting style. Like they went to the same, uh, you know, kung fu slap dojo. <laughs> like that scene from a Christmas. Where did you learn how to fight Rock'em Sock'em robots? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, what if we are ranking Venture Brothers characters? Where is the monarch in your ranking? I mean, he's definitely in the top five. Um, I mean, okay, so I do have a very classical stance. Like, I grew up in the age of where, like, you know, TV shows had people's names in them. <laughs> like, you know, uh, there was like, you know, the Cosby show, even though the character was Cliff Huxtable. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was... Patty Duke uh, show. The what? Patty, Patty Duke. Duke. Oh, Patty Duke. Uh, the Dick Van Dyke show. Mary Tyler uh, Moore. Mary Tyler Moore. I love Lucy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the Ur. The Ur sitcom. Yeah. So uh, it, for me, like my, my top five venture pantheon, um, in no particular order, uh, I'll say that, um, Two-Tone 21, uh, Monarch, Sheila, Brick Frog, um, just because, again, uh, I, I love the simplicity of a, of a, <laughs> I love a person who knows themselves. And he is good at, you know, brick throwing and frog being. <laughs> um and uh then i mean i would have to round out my top five with uh billy quiz boy um because again i, I love genuine characters mm-hmm. but the truth is like it's called venture brothers and i know that like you know that's supposed to reference hank and dean and then they have all no these... I, I don't no, think it no is. well and that's it, it really now. isn't well like it starts off like that's supposed to be the apparent thing and then clearly like they're moving away from twist venture brothers has been these two the whole time they've had some tongue-in-cheek moments with it and that's well and they've played it off of three sets of characters too they've played it off of uh jonas and rusty they've played it off of hank and dean and they played it off of rusty and the monarch uh i would even venture to say they toyed around with a little bit with uh, um, Malcolm's dad and Jonas as well. And they like teased Dermot and the boys. Oh yeah, Dermot and Dean. Yeah. Um, It's the conceit that keeps going. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's one of those, like, uh, how many clever ways can we rearrange this? Mm -hmm. Dean and, versus and... Dean, in perchance to Dean. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the Deaniest episode. <laughs> now, 100% Deanier. <laughs> well, what, what's the episode with the rejected... Clone, like the clone. Yeah, that's per chance, chance to Dean. To Dean. <laughs> that, that, that's chance to Dean, yeah. Well, I also get uh, like that one and Bright Lights, Dean City mixed up in my head a lot because again, that one has Nathan Fillion. That's why it's different. Yep, the brown, the brown <laughs> widow. That's all you need to know. And here's my favorite thing from the commentary on that. Uh, apparently, Jackson Public went to Texas, went to Nathan Fillion's house, and like apparently, Nathan Fillion is the kind of guy that just walks around with magic tricks in his pocket. <laughs> I'm like, that's so magical. Like, he is, like, magic in the world. Like, hey, kids, boom. Like, you know, I put the quarter in the can or, you know, whatever it is. Like, magic for humans. You've seen that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nathan Fillion just is a walking miracle. Yes, indeed. Is he America's Hugh Jackman? No, because I don't want to stuff him in a hundred boxes <laughs> i don't want to see a hundred dead nathan fillions <laughs> well that seems like a good as good a place as any to wrap up this week's episode uh i feel like we have done the monarch some justice in our monarch block and we will have much more to explore as we continue to learn more about this character as we move further into our later seasons and so it is with a light heart and heavy eyelids that I bid all of you a good night because this is now our 14 and a half that I have spent on Zoom today. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fair enough. Yeah, we'll bypass the awful Go Team venture and just like, bye, gang. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Bracers yourself. We got a new episode coming right Holy up. Holy shit, dude. There were there are so many things I wish I could share with the public about this past weekend. Words, words, so many words. Uh, but I may not. Uh, I, you could write to the penthouse. I, I was able to discuss I was able to tell you what the Hobbit thing was, and that was uh, and that was that. All right. So welcome out, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of Conjectural Technologies, a venture industries podcast presented here on the Hinge Life Pirate Radio Network. I'm your host and smooth jazz aficionado, <laughs> 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 Professor Brock Savage. Here with me is the always Rubenesque Beast Lamode. <laughs> Pour yourself a snifter of Cravassier and relax. It's That's going good. into your crevassier. <laughs> 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 and we are joined one more time by Calamitous Jane, a woman whose felonious fashions have graced the runways of Paris, Milan, and Folsom. But we have a wholesome evening's entertainment for you. If you've ever shot a man just to watch him die, you might be in the right place tonight. So As we trailed off from like sensual to npr oh that's uh you know what all right i'll start over how not about to this? say well not to say like good times not to say it can't be the same thing i mean 
<laughs> go ahead, pour yourself a glass of wine. Go ahead, seduce yourself a little. Put on NPR, listen to the news. We both know where this is going. Fresh air's coming up. <laughs> yeah, Terry, you told me about it. You know what? Right. Terry hate gross. <laughs> no, man. How much, how many is a gross of good times? That's 144, right? 